21.2 antidepressants. S-E-L-E-C-T-I-V-E-S-E-R-O-T-O-N-I-N-R-E-U-P-T-A-K-I-N-H-I-B-I-T-O-R-S. Fluoxetine, Prozac, the first SSRI marketed in the United States, rapidly captured the favor of both clinicians and the general public as reports emerged of dramatic patient responses to treatment of depression. Patients no longer experienced such side effects as dry mouth, constipation, sedation, orthostatic hypotension, and tachycardia, typical side effects associated with the earlier antidepressant drugs, the TCAs and MAOIs. It was also significantly safer when taken in overdose than any previously available antidepressant. A significant effect of fluoxetine's popularity was that it helped ameliorate the long-standing stigma of depression and its treatment. Other SSRs followed fluoxetine. These include sertraline, Zoloft, paroxetine, Paxil, fluvoxamine, Luvox, citalopram, Celexa, escitalopram, Lexapro, and velazidone, Vibrid. These drugs are all equally effective in treating depression. However, some are approved by the US FDA for multiple indications, such as major depression, OCD, PTSD, PMDD, panic disorder, and social phobia, social anxiety disorder. Note that fluvoxamine is not FDA approved as an antidepressant, a fact that is due to a marketing decision. It is considered an antidepressant in other countries. Although all SSRs are equally effective, there are meaningful differences in pharmacodynamics, pharmacokinetics, and side effects, differences that might affect clinical responses among individual patients. This would explain why some patients have better clinical responses to a particular SSRI than another. The SSRs have proven more problematic in terms of some side effects than the original clinical trials suggested. Quality of life associated adverse effects such as nausea, sexual dysfunction, and weight gains sometimes mitigate the therapeutic benefits of the SSRs. There can also be distressing withdrawal symptoms when SSRs are stopped abruptly. This withdrawal is especially true with paroxetine but also occurs when other SSRs with short half-lives are stopped. Pharmacologic actions. Pharmacokinetics. A significant difference among the SSRs is their broad range of serum half-lives. Fluoxetine has the most prolonged half-life, 4 to 6 days. Its active metabolite has a half-life of 7 to 9 days. The half-life of sertraline is 26 hour source, and its less active metabolite has a half-life of 3 to 5 days. The half-lives of the other three, which do not have metabolites with significant pharmacologic activity, are 35 hour source for citalopram, 27 to 32 hour source for escitalopram, 21 hour source for paroxetine, and 15 hour source for fluvoxamine. As a rule, the SSRs are well absorbed after oral administration and have their peak effects in the range of 3 to 8 hour source. Absorption of sertraline may be slightly enhanced by food. Table 21 to 15. Currently approved indications of the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors in the United States for adult and pediatric populations. There are also differences in plasma protein binding percentages among the SSRs, with sertraline, fluoxetine, and paroxetine being the most highly bound and escitalopram being the least bound. All SSRs are metabolized in the liver by the CYP450 enzymes. Because the SSRs have such a broad therapeutic index, Other drugs rarely produce problematic increases in SSRI concentrations. The most critical drug-drug interactions involving the SSRs occur as a result of the SSRs inhibiting the metabolism of the co-administered medication. Each of the SSRs possesses a potential for slowing or blocking the metabolism of many drugs. Fluvoxamine is the most problematic of the drugs in this respect. It has a marked effect on several of the CYP enzymes. Examples of clinically significant interactions include fluvoxamine and theophylline, slobid, theodur, through CYP1A2 interaction, fluvoxamine and clozapine, clozeril, through CYP1A2 inhibition, and fluvoxamine with alprazolam, Xanax, or clonazepam, clonopin, through CYP3A4 inhibition. 
Fluoxetine and peroxetine also possess significant effects on the CYP2D6 isozyme, which may interfere with the efficacy of opiate analogs, such as codeine and hydrocodone, by blocking the conversion of these agents to their active form. Thus, CO administration of fluoxetine and peroxetine with an opiate interferes with its analgesic effects. Sertraline, citalopram, and escitalopram are least likely to complicate treatment because of interactions. Table 21-16. CYP450 inhibitory potential of commonly prescribed antidepressants. The pharmacokinetics of velazidone, 5-80 mg, is dose-proportional. Steady-state plasma levels are achieved in about 3 days. The elimination of velazidone is primarily by hepatic metabolism with a terminal half-life of approximately 25 hoursores. Pharmacodynamics. The SSRs are believed to exert their therapeutic effects through serotonin reuptake inhibition. They derive their name because they have little effect on the reuptake of norepinephrine or dopamine. Often, adequate clinical activity and saturation of the 5-HT transporters are achieved at starting dosages. As a rule, higher dosages do not increase antidepressant efficacy but may increase the risk of adverse effects. Citalopram and escitalopram are the most selective inhibitors of serotonin reuptake, with very little inhibition of norepinephrine or dopamine reuptake and very low affinities for histamine H1, gamma-aminobutyric acid, or benzodiazepine receptors. The other SSRs have a similar profile except that fluoxetine weakly inhibits norepinephrine reuptake and binds to 5-HT2C receptors, sertraline weakly inhibits norepinephrine and dopamine reuptake, and paroxetine has significant anticholinergic activity at higher dosages and binds to nitric oxide synthase. The SSR Ivalazidone has 5-HT1A receptor agonist properties. The clinical implications of the 5-HT1A receptor agonist effects are not yet evident. A pharmacodynamic interaction appears to underlie the antidepressant effects of combined fluoxetine-olanzapine. When taken together, these drugs increase brain concentrations of norepinephrine. Concomitant use of SSR as in drugs in the tryptan class, sumatriptan, imitrex, naratriptan, emerge, rizotriptan, maxalt, and zolmatriptan, zomig, may result in a severe pharmacodynamic interaction. The development of serotonin syndrome, see, precautions and adverse reactions. However, many people use triptans while taking low doses of an SSRI for headache prophylaxis without adverse reaction. A similar reaction may occur when SSRIs are combined with tramadol, ultram. Therapeutic indications. Depression. In the United States, all SSRIs other than fluvoxamine have been approved by the FDA for the treatment of depression. Several studies have found that antidepressants with serotonin norepinephrine activity, drugs such as the MAOIs, TCS, venlafaxine, Effexor, and mirtazapine, remarin, may produce higher rates of remission than SSRs in head-to-head -head studies. The continued role of SSRs as first-line treatment thus reflects their simplicity of use, safety, and a broad spectrum of action. Direct comparisons of individual SSRs have not revealed any to be consistently superior to another. There nevertheless can be considerable diversity in response to the various SSRs among individuals. For example, more than 50% of people who respond poorly to one SSRI will respond favorably to another. Thus, before shifting to non-SSRI antidepressants, it is most reasonable to try other agents in the SSRI class for persons who did not respond to the first SSRI. Some clinicians have attempted to select a particular SSRI for a specific person based on the drug's unique adverse effect profile. For example, thinking that fluoxetine is an activating and stimulating SSRI, they may assume it is a better choice for an abulic person than paroxetine, which is presumed to be a sedating SSRI. These differences, however, usually vary from person to person. Analyses of clinical trial data show that SSRs are more effective in patients with more severe symptoms of major depression than those with milder symptoms. SUICIDE. The FDA has issued a black box warning for antidepressants and suicidal thoughts and behavior in children and young adults. 
This warning is based on a decade-old analysis of clinical trial data. More recent, comprehensive reanalysis of data has shown that suicidal thoughts and behavior decreased over time for adult and geriatric patients treated with antidepressants as compared with placebo. No differences were found for youths. In adults, reduction in suicide ideation and attempts occurred through a reduction in depressive symptoms. In all age groups, the severity of depression improved with medication and was significantly related to suicide ideation or behavior. It appears that SSRIs, as well as serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors, SNRIs, have a protective effect against suicide that is mediated by decreases in depressive symptoms with treatment. For youths, no significant effects of treatment on suicidal thoughts and behavior were found, although depression responded to treatment. No evidence of increased suicide risk was observed in youths receiving active medication. It is crucial to keep in mind that SSRIs, like all antidepressants, prevent potential suicides as a result of their primary action, the shortening and prevention of depressive episodes. In clinical practice, a few patients become anxious and agitated when started on an SSRI. The appearance of these symptoms could conceivably provoke or aggravate suicidal ideation. Thus, all depressed patients should be closely monitored during the period of maximum risk, the first few days and weeks they are taking SSRIs. D-E-P-R-E-S-S-I-O-N-D-U-R-I-N-G-P-R-E-G-N-A-N-C-Y-A-N-D-P-O-S-T-P-A-R-T-U-M. Rates of relapse of major depression during pregnancy among women who discontinue, attempt to discontinue, or modify their antidepressant regimens are very high. Rates range from 68 to 100 percent of patients. Thus, many women need to continue taking their medication during pregnancy and postpartum. The impact of maternal depression on infant development is unknown. There is no significantly increased risk for major congenital malformations after exposure to SSRIs during pregnancy, with the exception of paroxetine, discussed below. Thus, the risk of relapse into depression when a newly pregnant mother is taken off SSRIs is severalfold higher than the risk to the fetus of exposure to SSRIs. There is some evidence suggesting increased rates of special care nursery admissions after delivery for children of mothers taking SSRIs. There is also a potential for a discontinuation syndrome with paroxetine. However, there is an absence of clinically significant neonatal complications associated with SSRI use. Studies that have followed children into their early school years have failed to find any perinatal complications, congenital fetal anomalies, decreases in global intelligence quotient, IQ, language delays, or specific behavioral problems attributable to the use of fluoxetine during pregnancy. Postpartum depression, with or without psychotic features, affects a small percentage of mothers. Some clinicians start administering SSRs if the postpartum blues extend beyond a few weeks or if a woman becomes depressed during pregnancy. The head start afforded by starting SSRI administration during pregnancy if a woman is at risk for postpartum depression also protects the newborn, toward whom the woman may have harmful thoughts after parturition. Babies whose mothers are taking an SSRI in the latter part of pregnancy may be at a slight risk of developing pulmonary hypertension. Data about the risk of this side effect are inconclusive, but it is estimated to involve 1 to 2 babies for 1,000 births. Paroxetine should be avoided during pregnancy. The FDA classified paroxetine as a pregnancy category D medication in the former FDA classification system. In 2005, the FDA issued an alert that paroxetine increases the risk of congenital disabilities, particularly heart defects, when women take it during the first three months of pregnancy. Paroxetine should usually not be taken during pregnancy, but for some women who have already been taking paroxetine, the benefits of continuing paroxetine may be greater than the potential risk to the baby. Women taking paroxetine who are pregnant, think they may be pregnant, or plan to become pregnant should talk to their physicians about the potential risks of taking paroxetine during pregnancy. The FDA alert was based on the findings of studies that showed that women who took paroxetine during the first three months of pregnancy were about one and a half to two times as likely to have a baby with a heart defect as women who received other antidepressants or women in the general population. Most of the heart defects in these studies were not life-threatening and happened mainly in the inside walls of the heart muscle, 
where repairs can be made if needed, atrial and ventricular septal defects. Sometimes these septal defects resolve without treatment. In one of the studies, the risk of heart defects in babies whose mothers had taken paroxetine early in pregnancy was 2%, compared with a 1% risk in the whole population. In the other study, the risk of heart defects in babies whose mothers had taken paroxetine in the first three months of pregnancy was 1.5%, compared with 1% in babies whose mothers had taken other antidepressants in the first three months of pregnancy. This study also showed that women who took paroxetine in the first three months of pregnancy were about twice as likely to have a baby with any congenital disability as women who took other antidepressants. Minimal amounts of SSRIs are found in breast milk, and no harmful effects have been found in breastfed babies. Concentrations of sertraline and escitalopram are exceptionally low in breast milk. However, in some cases, reported concentrations might be higher than average. No decision regarding the use of an SSRI is risk-free. It is thus essential to document that communication of potential risks to the patient has taken place. D-E-P-R-E-S-S-I-O-N-I-N-E-L-D-E-R-L-Y-A-N-D-M-E-D-I-C-A-L-L-Y-I-L-L-P-E-R-S-O-N-S. The SSRs are safe and well tolerated when used to treat elderly and medically ill persons. As a class, they have little or no cardiotoxic, anticholinergic, antihistaminergic, or alpha-adrenergic adverse effects. Paroxetine does have some anticholinergic activity, which may lead to constipation and worsening of cognition. The SSRs can produce subtle cognitive deficits, prolonged bleeding time, and hyponatremia, all of which may impact the health of this population. The SSRs are effective in post-stroke depression and dramatically reduce the symptom of crying. D-E-P-R-E-S-S-I-O-N-I-N-C-H-I-L-D-R-N. The use of SSRI antidepressants in children and adolescents has been controversial. Few studies have shown clear-cut benefits from the use of these drugs, and studies show that there may be an increase in suicidal or aggressive impulses. However, some children and adolescents do exhibit dramatic responses to these drugs in terms of depression and anxiety. Fluoxetine has most consistently demonstrated effectiveness in reducing symptoms of depressive disorder in both children and adolescents. This fact may be a function of the quality of the clinical trials involved. Sertraline is effective in treating social anxiety disorder in this population, especially when combined with cognitive behavioral therapy. Given the potential adverse effect of untreated depression and anxiety in a young population and the uncertainty about many aspects of how children and adolescents might react to medication, any use of SSRI should be undertaken only within the context of comprehensive management of the patient. Anxiety Disorders OBSESSIVECOMPULSIVEDISORDER Fluvoxamine, paroxetine, sertraline, and fluoxetine are indicated for the treatment of OCD in persons older than the age of 18 years. Fluvoxamine, fluoxetine, and sertraline have also been approved for the treatment of children with OCD, ages 6 to 17 years. About 50% of persons with OCD begin to show symptoms in childhood or adolescence, and more than half of these respond favorably to medication. Beneficial responses can be dramatic. Long-term data support the model of OCD as a genetically determined, lifelong condition that is best treated continuously with drugs and cognitive behavioral therapy from the onset of symptoms in childhood throughout the lifespan. SSRI dosages for OCD may need to be higher than those required to treat depression. Although some responses can be seen in the first few weeks of treatment, it may take several months for the maximum effects to become evident. Patients who fail to obtain adequate relief of their OCD symptoms with an SSRI will usually benefit from the addition of a small dose of risperidone, risperdal. Apart from the extrapyramidal side effects of risperidone, patients should be monitored for increases in prolactin levels when this combination is used. Clinically, hyperprolactinemia may manifest as gynecomastia and galacteria, in both men and women, and loss of menses. Several disorders are now considered to be within the OCD spectrum. This spectrum includes several conditions and symptoms characterized by non-suicidal self-mutilation, such as trichotillomania, 
eyebrow picking, nose picking, nail biting, compulsive picking of skin blemishes, and cutting. Patients with these behaviors benefit from treatment with SSRIs. Other spectrum disorders include compulsive gambling, compulsive shopping, hypochondriasis, and body dysmorphic disorder. P-A-N-I-C-D-I-S-O-R-D-R. Paroxetine, fluoxetine, and sertraline are indicated for the treatment of panic disorder, with or without agoraphobia. These agents work less rapidly than do benzodiazepines but are far superior to them for the treatment of panic disorder with comorbid depression. Citalopram and fluvoxamine also may reduce spontaneous or induced panic attacks. Because fluoxetine can initially heighten anxiety symptoms, persons with panic disorder must begin taking small dosages, 5 mg a day, and increase the dosage slowly. Low doses of benzodiazepines may be given to manage this side effect. S-O-C-I-A-L-A-N-X-I-E-T-Y-D-I-S-O-R-D-R. SSRs are effective agents in the treatment of social phobia. They reduce both symptoms and disability. The response rate is comparable to that seen with the MAOI phenylzine, Nardial, the previous standard treatment. The SSRs are safer to use than MAOIs or benzodiazepines. P-O-S-T-T-R-A-U-M-A-T-I-C-S-T-R-E-S-S-D-I-S-O-R-D-R. Pharmacotherapy for PTSD must target specific symptoms in four clusters. Re-experiencing, avoidance, negative changes in mood and thinking, and arousal. For long-term treatment, SSRs appear to have a broader spectrum of therapeutic effects on specific PTSD symptom clusters than do TCAs and MAOIs. Benzodiazepine augmentation is useful in the acute symptomatic state. The SSRs are associated with marked improvement of both intrusive and avoidance symptoms. G-E-N-E-R-A-L-I-Z-E-A-N-X-I-E-T-Y-D-I-S-O-R-D-R. The SSRs may be useful for the treatment of specific phobias, generalized anxiety disorder, G. Alzheimer's disease, and separation anxiety disorder. A thorough, individualized evaluation is the first approach, with particular attention to identifying conditions amenable to drug therapy. Also, cognitive behavioral or other psychotherapies can be added for greater efficacy. Bulimia nervosa and other eating disorders. Fluoxetine is indicated for the treatment of bulimia, which is best done in the context of psychotherapy. Dosages of 60 mg a day are significantly more effective than 20 mg a day. In several well-controlled studies, fluoxetine in dosages of 60 mg a day was superior to placebo in reducing binge eating and induced vomiting. Some experts recommend an initial course of cognitive behavioral therapy alone. If there is no response in 3 to 6 weeks, then fluoxetine administration is added. The appropriate duration of treatment with fluoxetine and psychotherapy has not been determined. Fluvoxamine was not effective at a statistically significant level in one double-blind, placebo-controlled trial for inpatients with bulimia. A-N-O-R-E-X-E-N-E-R-V-O-S-A. Fluoxetine has been used in inpatient treatment of anorexia nervosa to attempt to control comorbid mood disturbances and obsessive-compulsive symptoms. However, at least two careful studies, one of 7 months and one of 24 months duration, failed to find that fluoxetine affected the overall outcome and the maintenance of weight. Effective treatments for anorexia include cognitive behavioral, interpersonal, psychodynamic, and family therapies in addition to a trial with SSRIs. O-B-E-S-I-T-Y. Fluoxetine, in combination with a behavioral program, is only modestly beneficial for weight loss. A significant percentage of all persons who take SSRIs, including fluoxetine, lose weight initially but later may gain weight. However, all SSRs may cause initial weight gain. P-R-E-M-E-N-S-T-R-U-A-L-D-Y-S-P-H-O-R-I-C-D-I-S-O-R-D-R. PMDD is characterized by debilitating mood and behavioral changes in the week preceding menstruation that interferes with normal functioning. Sertraline, paroxetine, fluoxetine, and fluvoxamine have been reported to reduce the symptoms of PMDD. 
Controlled trials of fluoxetine and sertraline administered either throughout the cycle or only during the luteal phase, the two weeks between ovulation and menstruation, showed both schedules to be equally effective. An additional observation of unclear significance was that fluoxetine was associated with changing the duration of the menstrual period by more than four days, either lengthening or shortening it. The effects of SSRs on menstrual cycle length are mostly unknown and may warrant careful monitoring in women of reproductive age. Off-label uses. P-R-E-M-A-T-U-R-E-E-J-A-C-U-L-A-T-I-O-N. The anorgasmic effects of SSRs make them useful as a treatment for men with premature ejaculation. The SSRs permit intercourse for a significantly more extended period and are reported to improve sexual satisfaction in couples in which the man has premature ejaculation. Fluoxetine and sertraline are useful for this purpose. P-A-R-A-P-H-I-L-I-S. The SSRs may reduce obsessive-compulsive behavior in people with paraphilias. The SSRs diminish the average time per day spent in unconventional sexual fantasies, urges, and activities. Evidence suggests a more significant response to sexual obsessions than for paraphilic behavior. A-U-T-I-S-M. Obsessive-compulsive behavior, poor social relatedness, and aggression are prominent autistic features that may respond to serotonergic agents such as SSRs and clomipramine, anaphronil. Sertraline and fluvoxamine have been shown in controlled and open-label trials to mitigate aggressiveness, self-injurious behavior, repetitive behaviors, some degree of language delay, and, rarely, lack of social relatedness in adults with autistic spectrum disorders. Fluoxetine has been reported to be useful for features of autism in children, adolescents, and adults. Precautions and adverse reactions. SSRI side effects need to be considered in terms of their onset, duration, and severity. For example, nausea and jitteriness are early, generally mild, and time-limited side effects. Although SSRs share similar side effect profiles, individual drugs in this class may cause a higher rate or carry a more severe risk of specific side effects depending on the patient. Sexual dysfunction. All SSRs cause sexual dysfunction, and it is the most common adverse effect of SSRs associated with long-term treatment. It has an estimated incidence of between 50 and 80 percent. The most common complaints are anorgasmia, inhibited orgasm, and decreased libido. Some studies suggest that sexual dysfunction is dose-related, but this has not been established. Unlike most of the other adverse effects of SSRs, sexual inhibition rarely resolves in the first few weeks of use but usually continues as long as the drug is taken. In some cases, there may be an improvement over time. Strategies to counteract SSRI-induced sexual dysfunction are numerous, and none has been proven to be very useful. Some reports suggest decreasing the dosage or adding bupropion, welbutrin, or amphetamine. Reports have described successful treatment of SSRI-induced sexual dysfunction with agents such as sildenafil, Viagra, which are used to treat erectile dysfunction. Ultimately, patients may need to be switched to antidepressants that do not interfere with sexual functioning, drugs such as mirtazapine or bupropion. Gastrointestinal adverse effects. GI side effects are widespread and are mediated mainly through effects on the serotonin 5-HT3 receptor. The most frequent GI complaints are nausea, diarrhea, anorexia, vomiting, flatulence, and dyspepsia. Sertraline and fluvoxamine produce the most intense GI symptoms. Delayed release paroxetine, compared with the immediate release preparation of paroxetine, has less intense GI side effects during the first week of treatment. However, paroxetine, because of its anticholinergic activity, frequently causes constipation. Nausea and loose stools are usually dose-related and transient, usually resolving within a few weeks. Sometimes flatulence and diarrhea persist, especially during sertraline treatment. Initial anorexia may also occur and is most frequent with fluoxetine. SSRI-induced appetite and weight loss begin as soon as the drug is taken and peak at 20 weeks, after which weight often returns to baseline. Up to one-third of persons taking SSRs will gain weight, sometimes more than 20 lb. 
This effect is mediated through a metabolic mechanism, an increase in appetite, or both. It happens gradually and is usually resistant to diet and exercise regimens. Paroxetine is associated with more frequent, rapid, and pronounced weight gain than the other SSRIs, especially among young women. Cardiovascular effects. All SSRIs can lengthen the QT interval in otherwise healthy people and cause drug-induced long QT syndrome, especially when taken in overdose. The risk of QTC prolongation increases when an antidepressant and an antipsychotic are used in combination, an increasingly common practice. Citalopram stands out as the SSRI with the most pronounced effect on QT intervals. A QT study to assess the effects of 20 and 60 mg doses of citalopram on the QT interval in adults, compared with placebo, found a maximum mean prolongation in the individually corrected QT intervals were 8.5 milliseconds for 20 mg citalopram and 18.5 milliseconds for 60 mg. For 40 mg, prolongation of the corrected QT interval was estimated to be 12.6 milliseconds. Based on these findings, the FDA has issued the following recommendation regarding citalopram use. 20 mg a day is the maximum recommended dose for patients with hepatic impairment, who are older than 60 years of age, who are CYP2C19 poor metabolizers, or who are taking concomitant cimetidine, Tagamet. No longer prescribe at doses greater than 40 mg a day. Do not use in patients with congenital long QT syndrome. Correct hypokalemia and hypomagnesemia before administering citalopram. Monitor electrolytes as clinically indicated. Consider more frequent electrocardiograms in patients with congestive heart failure, bradyarrhythmias, or patients on concomitant medications that prolong the QT interval. The fact that citalopram carries a greater risk of causing fatal rhythm abnormalities was confirmed in a review of 469 SSRI poisoning admissions. Accordingly, patients should be advised to contact their prescriber immediately if they experience signs and symptoms of an abnormal heart rate or rhythm while taking citalopram. The effect of velazidone, 20, 40, 60, and 80 mg, on the QTC interval was evaluated, and a small effect was observed. The upper bound of the 90% confidence interval for the largest placebo-adjusted, baseline-corrected QTC interval was below 10 milliseconds, based on the individual correction method, QTCI. This interval is below the threshold for clinical concern. However, it is unknown whether 80 mg is adequate to represent a high clinical exposure condition. Physicians should consider whether the benefits of androgen deprivation therapy outweigh the potential risks in SSRI-treated patients with prostate cancer, as reductions in androgen levels can cause QTC interval prolongation. Dextromethorphan, quinidine, nudexta, is available as a treatment for pseudobulbar effect, which is defined by involuntary, sudden, and frequent episodes of laughing or crying that are generally out of proportion or inappropriate to the situation. Quinidine can prolong the QT interval and is a potent inhibitor of CYP2D6. It should not be used with other medications that prolong the QT interval and are metabolized by CYP2D6. This drug should be used with caution with any medications that can prolong the QT interval and inhibit CYP3A4, particularly in patients with cardiac disease. Antepartum use of SSR is sometimes associated with QTC interval prolongation in exposed neonates. In a review of 52 newborns exposed to SSR as in the immediate antepartum period and 52 matched control subjects. The mean QTC was significantly longer in the group of newborns exposed to antidepressants as compared with control subjects. 5, 10%. Newborns exposed to SSRs had a markedly prolonged QTC interval, greater than 460 milliseconds, compared with none of the unexposed newborns. The most extended QTC interval observed among exposed newborns was 543 milliseconds. All of the drug-associated repolarization abnormalities normalized in subsequent electrocardiographic tracings. Headaches. The incidence of headache in SSRI trials was 18 to 20 percent, only one percentage point higher than the placebo rate. Fluoxetine is the most likely to cause headaches. 
On the other hand, all SSRIs are effective prophylaxis against both migraine and tension-type headaches in many persons. Central Nervous System Adverse Effects A-N-X-I-E-T-Y Fluoxetine may cause anxiety, particularly in the first few weeks of treatment. However, these initial effects usually give way to an overall reduction in anxiety after a few weeks. Increased anxiety is caused considerably less frequently by paroxetine and escitalopram, which may be better choices if sedation is desired, as in mixed anxiety and depressive disorders. INSOMNEAANDSEDATION The primary effect SSR is exert in the area of insomnia and sedation as improved sleep resulting from the treatment of depression and anxiety. However, as many as 25% of persons taking SSRs note trouble sleeping, excessive somnolence, or overwhelming fatigue. Fluoxetine is the most likely to cause insomnia, for which reason it is often taken in the morning. Sertraline and fluvoxamine are about equally likely to cause insomnia as somnolence, and citalopram and especially paroxetine often cause somnolence. Escitalopram is more likely to interfere with sleep than its isomer, citalopram. Some persons benefit from taking their SSRI dose before going to bed, but others prefer to take it the morning. SSRI-induced insomnia can be treated with benzodiazepines, trazodone, decyrol. Clinicians must explain the risk of priapism, or other sedating medicines. Significant SSRI-induced somnolence often requires switching to the use of another SSRI or bupropion. OTH or SLEEPEFFECTS. Many persons taking SSRIs report recalling extremely vivid dreams or nightmares. They describe sleep as busy. Other sleep effects of the SSRIs include bruxism, restless legs, nocturnal myoclonus, and sweating. E-M-O-T-I-O-N-A-L-B-L-U-N-T-I-ing. Emotional blunting is a largely overlooked but frequent side effect associated with chronic SSRI use. Patients report an inability to cry in response to emotional situations, a feeling of apathy or indifference, or a restriction in the intensity of emotional experiences. This side effect often leads to treatment discontinuation, even when the drugs provide relief from depression or anxiety. Y-A-W-N-I-N-G. Close clinical observation of patients taking SSRs reveals an increase in yawning. This side effect is not a reflection of fatigue or poor nocturnal sleep, but is the result of SSRI effects on the hypothalamus. SEIZURS. Seizures have been reported in 0.1 to 0.2% of all patients treated with SSRS, an incidence comparable to that reported with other antidepressants and not significantly different from that with placebo. Seizures are more frequent at the highest doses of SSRS, e.g., fluoxetine 100 mg a day or higher, than at standard doses. EXTRAPYRAMIDLSYMPTOMS The SSRs may rarely cause akathisia, dystonia, tremor, cogwheel rigidity, torticollis, opistotonos, gait disorders, and bradykinesia. Rare cases of tardive dyskinesia have been reported. Some people with well-controlled Parkinson's disease may experience acute worsening of their motor symptoms when they take SSRIs. Anticholinergic effects. Paroxetine has a mild anticholinergic activity that causes dry mouth, constipation, and sedation in a dose-dependent fashion. Nevertheless, most persons taking paroxetine do not experience cholinergic adverse effects. Other SSRIs are associated with dry mouth, but this effect is not mediated by muscarinic activity. Hematologic adverse effects. The SSRs can cause functional impairment of platelet aggregation but not a reduction in platelet number. This pharmacologic effect can manifest through easy bruising and excessive or prolonged bleeding. When patients exhibit these signs, a test for bleeding time should be performed. Special monitoring is suggested when patients use SSRs in conjunction with anticoagulants or aspirin. Concurrent use of SSRs and NSAIDs is associated with a significantly increased risk of gastric bleeding. In cases where this combination is necessary, we should consider using proton pump inhibitors. 
electrolyte and glucose disturbances. The SSRIs may acutely decrease glucose concentrations. Therefore, diabetic patients should be carefully monitored. Long-term use may be associated with increased glucose levels, although it remains to be proven whether this is the result of a pharmacologic effect. Antidepressant users may have other characteristics that raise their odds of developing diabetes, or may be more likely to be diagnosed with diabetes or other medical conditions as a result of being in treatment for depression. Cases of SSRI-associated hyponatremia and the syndrome of inappropriate antidiuretic hormone have been seen in some patients, especially those who are older or treated with diuretics. Endocrine and allergic reactions. The SSRIs can increase prolactin levels and cause mammoplasia and galacteria in both men and women. Breast changes are reversible upon discontinuation of the drug, but this may take several months to occur. Various types of rashes appear in about 4% of all patients. In a small subset of these patients, the allergic reaction may generalize and involve the pulmonary system, rarely resulting in fibrotic damage and dyspnea. SSRI treatment may have to be discontinued in patients with drug-related rashes. Serotonin syndrome. Concurrent administration of an SSRI with an MAOI, L-tryptophan, or lithium, escalith, can raise plasma serotonin concentrations to toxic levels, producing a constellation of symptoms called serotonin syndrome. This severe and possibly fatal syndrome of serotonin overstimulation comprises, in order of appearances the condition worsens, 1. Diarrhea. 2. Restlessness. 3. Extreme agitation, hyperreflexia, and autonomic instability with possible rapid fluctuations in vital signs. 4. Myoclonus, seizures, hyperthermia, uncontrollable shivering, and rigidity, and 5. Delirium, coma, status epilepticus, cardiovascular collapse, and death. Treatment of serotonin syndrome consists of removing the offending agents and promptly instituting comprehensive supportive care. Supportive care and treatment may include nitroglycerin, cyproheptidine, periactin, methysergide, sansert, cooling blankets, chlorpromazine, thorazine, dantrolene, dantrium, benzodiazepines, anticonvulsants, mechanical ventilation, and paralyzing agents. Sweating. Some patients experience sweating while being treated with SSRIs. This sweating is independent of the temperature in the environment. Nocturnal sweating may drench bedsheets and require a change of nightclothes. Terazosin, hytrin, 1 or 2 mg per day, is often dramatically effective in counteracting sweating. Overdose. The adverse reactions associated with overdose of velazidone at doses of 200 to 280 mg, as observed in clinical trials, included serotonin syndrome, lethargy, restlessness, hallucinations, and disorientation. Selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor withdrawal. The abrupt discontinuance of SSRI use, especially one with a shorter half-life such as paroxetine or fluvoxamine, has been associated with a withdrawal syndrome that may include dizziness, weakness, nausea, headache, rebound depression, anxiety, insomnia, poor concentration, upper respiratory symptoms, paresthesias, and migraine-like symptoms. It usually does not appear until after at least six weeks of treatment and usually resolves spontaneously in three weeks. Persons who experience transient adverse effects in the first weeks of taking an SSRI are more likely to experience discontinuation symptoms. Fluoxetine is the SSRI least likely to be associated with this syndrome because the half-life of its metabolite is more than one week, and it effectively tapers itself. Fluoxetine has therefore been used in some cases to treat the discontinuation syndrome caused by the termination of other SSRIs. Nevertheless, a delayed and attenuated withdrawal syndrome occurs with fluoxetine as well. Drug Interactions the SSRIs do not interfere with most other drugs. A serotonin syndrome, or other antidepressants that inhibit the reuptake of serotonin. Fluoxetine, sertraline, and paroxetine can raise plasma concentrations of TCS, which can cause clinical toxicity. Several potential pharmacokinetic interactions have been described based on in vitro analyses of the CYP enzymes, but clinically relevant interactions are rare. 
SSR is that inhibits CYP2D6 may interfere with the analgesic effects of hydrocodone and oxycodone. These drugs can also reduce the effectiveness of tamoxifen, Nolvidex, Soltamox. The combined use of SSRIs and NSAIDs increases the risk of gastric bleeding. Table 21-17. Serotonin syndrome symptoms. Diarrhea. Myoclonus. Diaphoresis. Hyperactive reflexes. Tremor. Disorientation. Ataxia. Lability of mood. The SSRIs, particularly fluvoxamine, should not be used with clozapine because it raises clozapine concentrations, increasing the risk of seizure. The SSRIs may increase the duration and severity of zolpidem, Ambien, induced side effects, including hallucinations. Fluoxetine. Fluoxetine can be administered with tricyclic drugs, but the clinician should use low dosages of the tricyclic drug. Because the hepatic enzyme CYP2D6 metabolizes it, fluoxetine may interfere with the metabolism of other drugs in the 7% of the population who have an inefficient isoform of this enzyme, the so-called poor metabolizers. Fluoxetine may slow down the metabolism of carbamazepine, tegretol, antineoplastic agents, diazepam, valium, and phenytoin, dilantin. Drug interactions have been described for fluoxetine that may affect the plasma levels of benzodiazepines, antipsychotics, and lithium. Fluoxetine and other SSRs may interact with warfarin, coumadin, increasing the risk of bleeding and bruising. Sertraline. Sertraline may displace warfarin from plasma proteins and may increase the prothrombin time. The drug interaction data on sertraline support a generally similar profile to that of fluoxetine, although sertraline does not interact as strongly with the CYP2D6 enzyme. Paroxetine. Paroxetine has a higher risk for drug interactions and is either fluoxetine or sertraline because it is a more potent inhibitor of the CYP2D6 enzyme. Cimetidine can increase the concentration of sertraline and paroxetine, and phenobarbital, luminal, and phenytoin can decrease the concentration of paroxetine. Because of the potential for interference with the CYP2D6 enzyme, the CO administration of paroxetine with other antidepressants, phenothiazines, and antiarrhythmic drugs should be undertaken with caution. Paroxetine may increase the anticoagulant effect of warfarin. Co-administration of paroxetine and tramadol may precipitate serotonin syndrome in elderly persons. Fluvoxamine. Among the SSRs, fluvoxamine appears to present the most risk for drug-drug interactions. Fluvoxamine is metabolized by the enzyme CYP3A4, which may be inhibited by ketoconazole, nisryl. Fluvoxamine may increase the half-life of alprazolam, triazolam, halcyon, and diazepam, and it should not be co-administered with these agents. Fluvoxamine may increase theophylline levels threefold and warfarin levels twofold, with significant clinical consequences. Thus, the serum levels of the latter drugs should be closely monitored, and the doses adjusted accordingly. Fluvoxamine raises concentrations and may increase the activity of clozapine, carbamazepine, methadone, dolefine, methadose, propranolol, indorol, and diltiazem, cardazem. Fluvoxamine has no significant interactions with lorazepam, ativan, or digoxin, lenoxin. Citalopram. Citalopram is not a potent inhibitor of any CYP enzymes. Concurrent administration of cimetidine increases concentrations of citalopram by about 40%. Citalopram does not significantly affect the metabolism of, nor is its metabolism significantly affected by, digoxin, lithium, warfarin, carbamazepine, or amipramine, tofranol. Citalopram increases the plasma concentrations of metoprolol, lepressor, twofold, but this usually does not affect BP or heart rate. Data on CO administration of citalopram and potent inhibitors of CYP3A4 or CYP2D6 are not available. Escitalopram. Escitalopram is a moderate inhibitor of CYP2D6 and has been shown to raise dizipramine, norpramine, and metoprolol concentrations significantly. Velazidone. Velazidone dose should be reduced to 20 mg when co-administered with CYP3A4 potent inhibitors. 
Concomitant use with inducers of CYP3A4 can result in inadequate drug concentrations and may diminish effectiveness. The effect of CYP3A4 inducers on the systemic exposure of velazidone has not been evaluated. Laboratory interferences. In general, the SSRs do not interfere with any laboratory tests. There have been some reports of false positive urine toxicology for benzodiazepines in patients taking sertraline. If this is suspected, additional confirmation can be sought via gas chromatography mass spectrometry. Dosage and clinical guidelines. Fluoxetine. Fluoxetine is available in 10 and 20 mg capsules, in a scored 10 mg tablet, as a 90 mg enteric coated capsule for once weekly administration, and as an oral concentrate, 20 mg, 5 ml. Fluoxetine is also marketed as Serafem for PMDD. For depression, the initial dosage is usually 10 or 20 mg orally each day, usually given in the morning, because insomnia is a potential adverse effect of the drug. Fluoxetine should be taken with food to minimize possible nausea. The long half-lives of the drug and its metabolite contribute to four weeks to reach steady-state concentrations. 20 mg is often as effective as higher doses for treating depression. The maximum dosage recommended by the manufacturer is 80 mg a day. To minimize the early side effects of anxiety and restlessness, some clinicians initiate fluoxetine use at 5 to 10 mg a day, either with the scored 10 mg tablet or by using the liquid preparation. Alternatively, because of the long half-life of fluoxetine, its use can be initiated with an every-other-day administration schedule. The dosage of fluoxetine, and other SSRS, that is effective in other indications may differ from the dosage generally used for depression. Sertraline. Sertraline is available in scored 25, 50, and 100 mg tablets. For the initial treatment of depression, sertraline use should be initiated with a dosage of 50 mg once daily. To limit the GI effects, some clinicians begin at 25 mg a day and increase to 50 mg a day after 3 weeks. Patients who do not respond after 1 to 3 weeks may benefit from dosage increases of 50 mg every week up to a maximum of 200 mg given once daily. Sertraline can be administered in the morning or in the evening. Administration after eating may reduce the GI adverse effects. Sertraline oral concentrate, 1 ml equals 20 mg, has 12% alcohol content and must be diluted before use. When used to treat panic disorder, sertraline should be initiated at 25 mg to reduce the risk of provoking a panic attack. Paroxetine. Immediate release paroxetine is available in scored 20 mg tablets, in unscored 10, 30, and 40 mg tablets, and as an orange-flavored 10 mg, 5 ml oral suspension. Paroxetine use for the treatment of depression is usually initiated at a dosage of 10 or 20 mg a day. An increase in the dosage should be considered when an adequate response is not seen in 1 to 3 weeks. At that point, the clinician can initiate upward dose titration in 10 mg increments at weekly intervals to a maximum of 50 mg a day. Persons who experience GI upset may benefit from taking the drug with food. Paroxetine can be taken initially as a single daily dose in the evening. Higher dosages may be divided into two doses per day. A delayed release formulation of paroxetine, paroxetine CR, is available in 12.5, 25, and 37.5 mg tablets. The starting dosages of paroxetine CR are 25 mg per day for depression and 12.5 mg per day for panic disorder. Paroxetine is the SSRI most likely to produce a discontinuation syndrome, because plasma concentrations decrease rapidly in the absence of continuous dosing. Paroxetine use should be tapered gradually to limit the symptoms of abrupt discontinuation, with dosage reductions every two to three weeks. Fluvoxamine. Fluvoxamine is the only SSRI not approved by the FDA as an antidepressant. It is indicated for OCD. It is available in unscored 25 mg tablets and scored 50 and 100 mg tablets. The effective daily dosage range is 50 to 300 mg a day. 
A usual starting dosage is 50 mg once a day at bedtime for the first week, after which the dosage can be adjusted according to the adverse effects and clinical response. Dosages above 100 mg a day may be divided into twice daily dosing. A temporary dosage reduction or slower upward titration may be necessary if nausea develops over the first two weeks of therapy. Although fluvoxamine can also be administered as a single evening dose to minimize its adverse effects, its short half-life may lead to interdose withdrawal. An extended release formulation is available in 100 and 150 mg dose strengths. All fluvoxamine formulations should be swallowed with food without chewing the tablet. Abrupt discontinuation of fluvoxamine may cause a discontinuation syndrome owing to its short half-life. Citalopram. Citalopram is available in 20 and 40 mg scored tablets and as a liquid, 10 mg, 5 ml. The usual starting dosage is 20 mg a day for the first week, after which it usually is increased to 40 mg a day. For elderly persons or persons with hepatic impairment, 20 mg a day is recommended. Tablets should be taken once daily in either the morning or the evening with or without food. Escitalopram. Escitalopram is available as 10 and 20 mg scored tablets, as well as an oral solution at a concentration of 5 mg, 5 ml. The recommended dosage of escitalopram is 10 mg per day. In clinical trials, no additional benefit was noted when 20 mg per day was used. Velazidone. Velazidone is available as 10, 20, and 40 mg tablets. The recommended therapeutic dose of velazidone is 40 mg once daily. Treatment should be titrated, starting with an initial dose of 10 mg once daily for 7 days, followed by 20 mg once daily for an additional 7 days, and then an increase to 40 mg once daily. Velazidone should be taken with food. If velazidone is taken without food, inadequate drug concentrations may result, and the drug's effectiveness may be diminished. Velazidone is not approved for use in children. The safety and efficacy of velazidone in pediatric patients have not been studied. The patient's age should not influence the dose, nor does mild or moderate hepatic impairment. Velazidone has not been studied in patients with severe hepatic impairment. No dose adjustment is recommended in patients with mild, moderate, or severe renal impairment. Pregnancy and breastfeeding. Except for paroxetine, the SSRs are safe to take during pregnancy when deemed necessary for the treatment of the mother. There are no controlled human data regarding velazidone use during pregnancy, nor are there human data regarding drug concentrations in breast milk. Transient QTC prolongation has been noted in newborns whose mother was being treated with an SSRI during pregnancy. Loss of efficacy. Some patients report a diminished response or total loss of response to SSRIs with recurrence of depressive symptoms while remaining on a full dose of medication. The exact mechanism of this so-called poop-out is unknown, but the phenomenon is genuine. Potential remedies for the attenuation of the response to SSRIs include increasing or decreasing the dosage, tapering drug use, and then re-challenging with the same medication, switching to another SSRI or non-SSRI antidepressant, and augmenting with bupropion or another augmentation agent. Fortioxetine, Trintelix. Fortioxetine works mainly as an inhibitor of serotonin, 5-HT, reuptake, but it has a more complex pharmacologic profile than other SSRIs. It also acts as an agonist at 5-HT1A receptors, a partial agonist at 5-HT1B receptors, and an antagonist at 5-HT3, 5-HT1D, and 5-HT7 receptors. The contribution of each of these activities to the drug's antidepressant effect has not been established, but it is the only compound with this combination of pharmacodynamic actions. Side effects seen during the trials include, but are not limited to, nausea, constipation, and vomiting. The recommended starting dose is 10 mg administered orally once daily without regard to meals. The dose should then be increased to 20 mg per day, as tolerated. A dose of 5 mg per day should be considered for patients who do not tolerate higher doses. The maximum recommended dose of vortioxetine is 10 mg per day in known CYP2D6 poor metabolizers. 
Reduction of the dose of vortioxetine by one half is suggested when patients are receiving a CYP2D6 potent inhibitor, e.g., bupropion, fluoxetine, paroxetine, or quinidine, concomitantly. The dose should be increased to the original dose of vortioxetine in patients who stop taking CYP inducers, e.g., rifampin, carbamazepine, or phenytoin. This adjustment is especially essential when a potent CYP inducer is co-administered for greater than 14 days. The maximum recommended dose should not exceed three times the original dose. The dose of vortioxetine should be reduced to the original level within 14 days when the inducer is discontinued. Although vortioxetine can be abruptly discontinued, in placebo-controlled trials, patients experience transient adverse reactions such as headache and muscle tension following abrupt discontinuation of vortioxetine 15 or 20 mg per day. It is recommended that the dose be decreased to 10 mg per day for one week before full discontinuation of vortioxetine 15 or 20 mg per day. Vortioxetine is available in 5, 10, 15, and 20 mg tablets. S-E-L-E-C-T-I-V-E-S-E-R-O-T-O-N-I-N-N-O-R-E-P-I-N-E-P-H-R-I-N-A-R-E-U-P-T-A-K-I-N-H-I-B-I-T-O-R-S. There are currently four SNR as approved for use in the United States. Venlafaxine, Effexor and Effexor XR, Desvenlafaxine succinate, Deventral striatum, Pristique, Duloxetine, Cymbalta, and Levomilnasopran, Fetzima. A fifth SNRI, Milnasopran, Savella, available in other countries as an antidepressant, has US FDA approval in the United States as a treatment for fibromyalgia. The term SNRI reflects the belief that the therapeutic effects of these medications are mediated by concomitant blockade of neuronal serotonin, 5-HT, and norepinephrine uptake transporters. The SNRs are also sometimes referred to as dual reuptake inhibitors, a broader functional class of antidepressant medications that include TC as such as clomipramine, anaphronil, and, to a lesser extent, amipramine, tofranil, and amitriptyline, elevil. What distinguishes the SNRs from TC as is their relative lack of affinity for other receptors, especially muscarinic, histaminergic, and the families of alpha and beta adrenergic receptors. This distinction is an important one because the SNRs have a more favorable tolerability profile than the older dual reuptake inhibitors. Venlafaxine and desvenlafaxine. Therapeutic indications. Venlafaxine is approved for the treatment of four disorders, MDD, G. Alzheimer's disease, social anxiety disorder, and panic disorder. MDD is currently the only FDA-approved indication for deventral striatum. D-E-P-R-E-S-S-I-O-N. The FDA does not recognize any class of antidepressants as being more effective than any other. This does not mean that differences do not exist, but no study to date has sufficiently demonstrated such superiority. It has been argued that direct modulation of serotonin and norepinephrine may convey more significant antidepressant effects than are exerted by medications that selectively enhance only noradrenergic or serotoninergic neurotransmission. This more significant therapeutic benefit could result from an acceleration of postsynaptic adaptation to increased neuronal signaling simultaneous activation of two pathways for intracellular signal transduction, additive effects on the activity of relevant genes such as brain-derived neurotrophic factor, or, quite simply, broader coverage of depressive symptoms. Clinical evidence supporting this hypothesis first emerged in a pair of studies conducted by the Danish University Antidepressant Group, which found an advantage for the dual reuptake inhibitor clomipramine compared with SSR as citalopram, Celexa, and paroxetine, Paxil. Another report, which compared the results of a group of patients prospectively treated with a combination of dizipramine, norpramine, and fluoxetine, Prozac, with a historical comparison group treated with dizipramine alone, provided additional support. A meta-analysis of 25 inpatient studies comparing the efficacy of TC as an SSR has yielded the most substantial evidence. Specifically, although the TC as were found to have a modest overall advantage, 
superiority versus SSRs was almost entirely explained by the studies that use the TC as that are considered to be dual reuptake inhibitors, clomipramine, amitriptyline, and amipramine. Meta-analyses of head-to-head -head studies suggest that venlafaxine has the potential to induce higher rates of remission in depressed patients than do the SSRs. This difference in the venlafaxine advantage is about 6%. Deventralstriatum has not been extensively compared with other classes of antidepressants concerning efficacy. G-E-N-E-R-A-L-I-Z-A-N-X-I-E-T-Y-D-I-S-O-R-D-R. The extended release formulation of venlafaxine is approved for the treatment of G. Alzheimer's disease. In clinical trials lasting six months, dosages of 75 to 225 mg a day were effective in treating insomnia, poor concentration, restlessness, irritability, and excessive muscle tension related to G. Alzheimer's disease. S-O-C-I-A-L-A-N-X-I-E-T-Y-D-I-S-O-R-D-R. The extended release formulation of venlafaxine is approved for the treatment of social anxiety disorder. Its efficacy was established in 12-week studies. O-T-H-R-I-N-D-I-C-A-T-I-O-N-S. Case reports and uncontrolled studies have indicated that venlafaxine may be beneficial in the treatment of obsessive-compulsive disorder, panic disorder, agoraphobia, social phobia, Alzheimer's disease AD, and patients with a dual diagnosis of depression and cocaine dependence. It has also been used in chronic pain syndromes with good effect. Precautions and adverse reactions. Venlafaxine has a safety and tolerability profile similar to that of the more widely prescribed SSRI class. Nausea is the most frequently reported treatment emergent adverse effect associated with venlafaxine and deventral striatum therapy. Initiating therapy at lower dosages may also attenuate nausea. When extremely problematic, treatment-induced nausea can be controlled by prescribing a selective 5-HT3 antagonist or mirtazapine, remarin. Venlafaxine and deventral striatum therapy is associated with sexual side effects, predominantly decreased libido and a delay to orgasm or ejaculation. The incidence of these side effects may exceed 30 to 40% when there is a direct, detailed assessment of sexual function. Other common side effects include headache, insomnia, somnolence, dry mouth, dizziness, constipation, asthenia, sweating, and nervousness. Although several side effects are suggestive of anticholinergic effects, these drugs have no affinity for muscarinic or nicotinic receptors. Thus, noradrenergic agonism is likely to be the culprit. Higher-dose venlafaxine therapy is associated with an increased risk of sustained elevations of BP. Experience with the instant release, IR, formulation in studies of depressed patients indicated that sustained hypertension was dose-related, increasing from 3 to 7% at doses of 100 to 300 mg per day and 13% at doses greater than 300 mg per day. In this dataset, venlafaxine therapy did not adversely affect BP control of patients taking antihypertensives and lowered the mean values of patients with elevated BP readings before therapy. In controlled studies of the extended release formulation, venlafaxine therapy resulted in only approximately 1% greater risk of high BP when compared with the placebo. Arbitrarily capping the upper dose of venlafaxine used in these studies, thus, significantly attenuated concerns about elevated BP. When higher doses of the extended release formulation are used, however, monitoring of BP is recommended. Venlafaxine and deventral striatum are commonly associated with discontinuation syndrome. This syndrome is characterized by the appearance of a constellation of adverse effects during a rapid taper or abrupt cessation, including dizziness, dry mouth, insomnia, nausea, nervousness, sweating, anorexia, diarrhea, somnolence, and sensory disturbances. It is recommended that, whenever possible, a slow taper schedule should be used when longer-term treatment must be stopped. On occasion, substituting a few doses of the sustained-release formulation of fluoxetine may help to bridge this transition. There were no overdose fatalities in pre-marketing trials of venlafaxine, although electrocardiographic changes, e.g., prolongation of QT interval, bundle branch block, QRS interval prolongation, tachycardia, 
bradycardia, hypotension, hypertension, coma, serotonin syndrome, and seizures were reported. Fatal overdoses have been documented subsequently, typically involving venlafaxine ingestion in combination with other drugs, alcohol, or both. Information concerning the use of venlafaxine and deventral striatum by pregnant and nursing women is not available at this time. Venlafaxine and deventral striatum are excreted in breast milk. Clinicians should carefully weigh the risks and benefits of venlafaxine use by pregnant and nursing women. Drug interactions. Venlafaxine is metabolized in the liver primarily by the CYP2D6 isoenzyme. Because the parent drug and principal metabolite are essentially equipotent, medications that inhibit this isoenzyme usually do not adversely affect therapy. Venlafaxine is itself a relatively weak inhibitor of CYP2D6, although it can increase levels of substrates, such as dizipramine or risperidone, risperdal. In vitro and in vivo studies have shown venlafaxine to cause little or no inhibition of CYP1A2, CYP2C9, CYP2C19, and CYP3A4. Venlafaxine is contraindicated in patients taking MAOIs because of the risk of a pharmacodynamic interaction, i.e., serotonin syndrome. An MAOI should not be started for at least seven days after stopping venlafaxine. Few data are available regarding the combination of venlafaxine with atypical neuroleptics, benzodiazepines, lithium, escalith, and anticonvulsants. Therefore, clinical judgment should be exercised when combining medications. Laboratory interferences. Data are not currently available on laboratory interferences with venlafaxine. There have been some reports of patients taking venlafaxine who have false positive results on liquid chromatography testing for tramadol. Dosage and administration. Venlafaxine is available in 25, 37.5, 50, 75, and 100 mg tablets and 37.5, 75, and 150 mg extended release capsules. The tablets and the extended release capsules are equally potent, and persons stabilized with one can switch to an equivalent dosage of the other. Because the immediate release tablets are rarely used due to their tendency to cause nausea and the need for multiple daily doses, the dosage recommendations that follow refer to the use of the extended release capsules. In depressed persons, venlafaxine demonstrates a dose response curve. The initial therapeutic dosage is 75 mg a day, given once a day. However, most persons are started at a dosage of 37.5 mg for 4 to 7 days to minimize adverse effects, particularly nausea. A convenient starter kit for the drug contains a one-week supply of both the 37.5 and 75 mg strengths. If a rapid titration is preferred, the dosage can be raised to 150 mg per day after day 4. As a rule, the dosage can be raised in increments of 75 mg a day every 4 or more days. Although the recommended upper dosage of the extended release preparation, venlafaxine XR, is 225 mg per day, it is approved by the FDA for use at dosages up to 375 mg a day. The dosage of venlafaxine should be halved in persons with significantly diminished hepatic or renal function. If discontinued, venlafaxine use should be gradually tapered over two to four weeks to avoid withdrawal symptoms. There are minor differences in the doses used for major depression, G. Alzheimer's disease, and social anxiety disorder. In the treatment of these disorders, for example, a dose-response effect has not been found. Also, lower mean dosages are typically used, with most patients taking 75 to 150 mg per day. Deventral striatum is available as 50 and 100 mg extended release tablets. The therapeutic dose for most patients is 50 mg a day. Although some patients may need higher doses, in clinical trials, no more significant therapeutic benefit was noted when the dose was increased. At higher doses, adverse events and discontinuation rates were increased. Duloxetine. Pharmacologic actions. Duloxetine is formulated as a delayed release capsule to reduce the risk of severe nausea associated with the drug. It is well absorbed, but there is a two-hour delay before absorption begins. Peak plasma concentrations occur six-hour sores after ingestion. 
Food delays the time to achieve maximum concentrations from 6 to 10 Hauersores and reduces the extent of absorption by about 10%. Duloxetine has an elimination half-life of about 12 Hauersores, range, 8 to 17 Hauersores. Steady-state plasma concentrations occur after 3 days. Duloxetine's elimination is mainly through the isozymes CYP2D6 and CYP1A2. Duloxetine undergoes extensive hepatic metabolism to numerous metabolites. About 70% of the drug appears in the urine as metabolites, and about 20% is excreted in the feces. Duloxetine is 90% protein-bound. Therapeutic indications. D-E-P-R-E-S-S-I-O-N. In contrast to venlafaxine, a small number of studies have compared duloxetine with the SSRIs. Although these studies are suggestive of some advantage in efficacy, their findings are limited by the use of fixed, low-starting doses of paroxetine and fluoxetine, but dosages of duloxetine in some studies were as high as 120 mg per day. Any inferences on whether duloxetine is superior to the SSR as in any aspect of treatment for depression thus await more evidence from adequately designed trials. N-E-U-R-O-P-A-T-H-I-C-P-A-I-N-A-S-S-O-C-I-A-T-E-D-W-I-T-H-D-I-A-B-E-T-S-A-N-D-S-T-R-E-S-S-U-R-I-N-A-
However, there were difficulties in tolerability with single doses above 60 mg. Accordingly, when dosages of 80 and 120 mg per day were used, they were administered as 40 or 60 mg twice daily. It remains to be seen to what extent dosages above 60 mg per day will be necessary and whether this will require divided doses to make the drug tolerable. Milnasopran and Levomilnasopran. Milnasopran is only FDA-approved for the treatment of fibromyalgia. Although some countries have approved milnasopran for general use as an antidepressant, efficacy is not as well established. Compared with venlafaxine, milnasopran is approximately five times more potent for inhibition of norepinephrine uptake than for 5-HT reuptake inhibition. Milnasopran has a half-life of approximately 8 hoursores and shows linear pharmacokinetics between doses of 50 and 250 mg per day. Milnasopran has no active metabolites, and it is directly metabolized in the liver. The kidneys primarily excrete milnasopran. Milnasopran is available as 12.5, 25, 50, and 100 mg tablets. The standard recommended milnasopran dose is as follows. Day 1, 12.5 mg once daily. Days 2 and 3, 12.5 mg twice daily. Days 4 to 7, 25 mg twice daily. And day 7 and beyond, 50 mg twice daily. Levomilnasopran was approved in 2013 by the FDA as a treatment for MDD in adults. Levomilnasopran is an active enantiomer of the racemic drug milnasopran. In vitro studies have shown that it has greater potency for norepinephrine reuptake inhibition than for serotonin reuptake inhibition and does not directly affect the uptake of dopamine or other neurotransmitters. It is taken once daily as a sustained release formulation. In clinical trials, doses of 40, 80, or 120 mg improved symptoms compared with placebo. The most common adverse reactions in the placebo-controlled trials were nausea, constipation, hyperhidrosis, increased heart rate, erectile dysfunction, tachycardia, vomiting, and palpitations. Rates of adverse events were generally consistent across the 40 to 120 mg dose range. The only dose-related adverse events were urinary hesitation and erectile dysfunction. B-U-P-R-O-P-I-O-N. Bupropion, Welbutrin, Welbutrin SR, Welbutrin XL, is an antidepressant drug that inhibits the reuptake of norepinephrine and, possibly, dopamine. Most significantly, it does not act on the serotonin system like SSRI antidepressants. This novel action results in a side effect profile characterized by a low risk of sexual dysfunction and sedation and with modest weight loss during acute and long-term treatment. No withdrawal syndrome has been linked to discontinuation of bupropion. Although increasingly used as first-line monotherapy, a significant percentage of bupropion use occurs as add-on therapy to other antidepressants, usually SSRIs. Bupropion was marketed under the name Zyban for use in smoking cessation regimens. However, the manufacturer has discontinued that brand in the United States. Pharmacologic actions. Three formulations of bupropion are available. Immediate release, taken three times daily, sustained release, taken twice daily, and extended release, taken once daily. The different versions of the drug contain the same active ingredient but differ in their pharmacokinetics and dosing. There have been reports of inconsistencies in bioequivalence between various branded and generic versions of bupropion. If a patient experiences changes in adverse effects or efficacy, the clinician should inquire whether there has been a change of formulation. Immediate release bupropion is well absorbed from the GI tract. Peak plasma concentrations of bupropion are usually reached within two hoursores of oral administration, and peak levels of the sustained release version are seen after three hoursores. The mean half-life of the compound is 12 hoursores, ranging from 8 to 40 hoursores. Peak levels of extended-release bupropion occur 5 hoursores after ingestion. This pharmacokinetic profile provides a longer time to maximum plasma concentration, Tmax, but comparable peak and trough plasma concentrations. The 24-hour exposure occurring after administration of the extended-release version of 300 mg once daily is equivalent to that provided by sustained release of 150 mg twice daily.
Clinically, this permits the drug to be taken once a day in the morning. Plasma levels are also reduced in the evening, making it less likely for some patients to experience treatment-related insomnia. The mechanism of action for the antidepressant effects of bupropion is presumed to involve the inhibition of dopamine and norepinephrine reuptake. Bupropion binds to the dopamine transporter in the brain. The effects of bupropion on smoking cessation may be related to its effects on dopamine reward pathways or inhibition of nicotinic acetylcholine receptors. Therapeutic Indications Depression Although overshadowed by the SSR as its first-line treatment for major depression, the therapeutic efficacy of bupropion in depression is well established in both outpatient and inpatient settings. Observed rates of response and remission are comparable to those seen with the SSRIs. Bupropion has been found to prevent seasonal major depressive episodes in patients with a history of seasonal patterns or affective disorder. Smoking cessation. Bupropion is indicated for use in combination with behavioral modification programs for smoking cessation. It is intended to be used in patients who are highly motivated and who receive some form of structured behavioral support. Bupropion is most effective when combined with nicotine substitutes, Nicoderm, Nicotrol. Bipolar disorders. Bupropion is less likely than TC as to precipitate mania in persons with bipolar eye disorder and less likely than other antidepressants to exacerbate or induce rapid cycling bipolar eye disorder. However, the evidence about the use of bupropion in the treatment of patients with bipolar disorder is limited. Attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder. Bupropion is used as a second-line agent, after the sympathomimetics, for treatment of Alzheimer's disease AD. It has not been compared with proven Alzheimer's disease AD medications such as methylphenidate, Ritalin, or atomoxetine, Stratera, for childhood and adult Alzheimer's disease AD. Bupropion is an appropriate choice for persons with comorbid Alzheimer's disease AD and depression or persons with comorbid Alzheimer's disease AD, conduct disorder, or substance use disorder. It may also be considered for use in patients who develop tics when treated with psychostimulants. Cocaine detoxification. Bupropion may be associated with a euphoric feeling. Thus, it may be contraindicated in persons with histories of substance abuse. However, because of its dopaminergic effects, bupropion has been explored as a treatment for cocaine cravings. Results have been inconclusive, with some patients showing a reduction in drug craving and others finding their cravings increased. Hypoactive sexual desire disorder. Bupropion is often added to drugs such as SSRIs to counteract sexual side effects and may be helpful as a treatment for non-depressed individuals with a disorder of sexual desire. Bupropion may improve sexual arousal, orgasm completion, and sexual satisfaction. Precautions and adverse reactions. Headache, insomnia, dry mouth, tremor, and nausea are the most common side effects. Restlessness, agitation, and irritability may also occur. Patients with severe anxiety or panic disorder should not be prescribed bupropion. Most likely, because of its potentiating effects on dopaminergic neurotransmission, bupropion can cause psychotic symptoms, including hallucinations, delusions, and catatonia, as well as delirium. Most notable about bupropion is the absence of significant drug-induced orthostatic hypotension, weight gain, daytime drowsiness, and anticholinergic effects. Some persons, however, may experience dry mouth or constipation and weight loss. Hypertension may occur in some patients, but bupropion causes no other significant cardiovascular or clinical laboratory changes. Bupropion exerts indirect sympathomimetic activity, producing positive enotropic effects in the human myocardium, an effect that may reflect catecholamine release. Some patients experience cognitive impairment, most notably word-finding difficulties. Concern about seizure has deterred some physicians from prescribing bupropion. The risk of seizure is dose-dependent. Studies show that at dosages of 300 mg a day or less of sustained-release bupropion, the incidence of seizures is 0.05%, which is no worse than the incidence of seizures with other antidepressants. The risk of seizures increases to about 0.1% with dosages of 400 mg a day. Changes in electroencephalographic, EEG, 
waveforms have been reported to be associated with bupropion use. About 20% of individuals treated with bupropion exhibit spike waves, sharp waves, and focal slowing. The likelihood of women having sharp waves is higher than for men. The presence of these waveforms in individuals taking a medication known to lower the seizure threshold may be a risk factor for developing seizures. Other risk factors for seizures include a history of seizures, use of alcohol, recent benzodiazepine withdrawal, organic brain disease, head trauma, or pretreatment epileptiform discharges on EEG. The use of bupropion by pregnant women is not associated with a specific risk of an increased rate of congenital disabilities. Bupropion is secreted in breast milk, so the use of bupropion in nursing women should be based on the clinical circumstances of the patient and the judgment of the clinician. Few deaths have been reported after overdoses of bupropion. Poor outcomes are associated with cases of massive doses and mixed drug overdoses. Seizures occur in about one-third of all overdoses and are dose-dependent, with those having seizures ingesting a significantly higher median dose. Fatalities can involve uncontrollable seizures, sinus bradycardia, and cardiac arrest. Symptoms of poisoning most often involve seizures, sinus tachycardia, hypertension, GI symptoms, hallucinations, and agitation. All seizures are typically brief and self-limited. In general, however, bupropion is safer in overdose cases than are other antidepressants except for perhaps SSRIs. Drug interactions. Given the fact that bupropion is frequently combined with SSRIs or venlafaxine, potential interactions are significant. Bupropion has been found to affect the pharmacokinetics of venlafaxine. One study noted a significant increase in venlafaxine levels and a consequent decrease in its main metabolite O-desmethylvenlafaxine during combined treatment with sustained-release bupropion. Bupropion hydroxylation is weakly inhibited by venlafaxine. No significant changes in plasma levels of the SSR as paroxetine and fluoxetine have been reported. However, few case reports indicate that the combination of bupropion and fluoxetine, Prozac, may be associated with panic, delirium, or seizures. Bupropion, in combination with lithium, escalith, may rarely cause CNS toxicity, including seizures. Because of the possibility of inducing a hypertensive crisis, bupropion should not be used concurrently with MAOIs. At least 14 days should pass after the discontinuation of an MAOI before initiating treatment with bupropion. In some cases, the addition of bupropion may permit persons taking anti-Parkinsonian medications to lower the doses of their dopaminergic drugs. However, delirium, psychotic symptoms, and dyskinetic movements may occur with the CO administration of bupropion and dopaminergic agents, such as anti-Parkinsonian meds. Sinus bradycardia may occur when bupropion is combined with metoprolol. Carbamazepine, Tegretol, may decrease plasma concentrations of bupropion, and bupropion may increase plasma concentrations of valproic acid, dipakine. In vitro biotransformation studies of bupropion have found that the formation of a major active metabolite, hydroxybupropion, is mediated by CYP2B6. Bupropion has a significant inhibitory effect on CYP2D6. Laboratory Interferences A report has appeared indicating that bupropion may give a false positive result on urinary amphetamine screens. No other reports have appeared of laboratory interferences associated with bupropion treatment. Clinically non-significant changes in the electrocardiogram, premature beats and nonspecific STT changes, and decreases in the WBC count, by about 10%, have been reported in a small number of persons. Dosage and clinical guidelines. Immediate release bupropion is available in 75, 100, and 150 mg tablets. Sustained release bupropion is available in 100, 150, 200, and 300 mg tablets. Extended release bupropion comes in 150 and 300 mg strengths. There have been problems associated with one of the extended-release generic versions called Budaprion XL300 mg tablets, which was found not to be therapeutically equivalent to Wellbutrin XL300 mg and was removed from the market. 
The initiation of immediate release bupropion in the average adult person should be 75 mg orally twice a day. On the fourth day of treatment, the dosage can be increased to 100 mg three times a day. Because 300 mg is the recommended dose, the person should be maintained on this dose for several weeks before increasing it further. The maximum dosage, 450 mg a day, should be given as 150 mg three times a day. Because of the risk of seizures, increases in dose should never exceed 100 mg in three days. A single dose of immediate release bupropion should never exceed 150 mg, and the total daily dosage should not exceed 450 mg. The maximum of 400 mg of the sustained release version should be used as a twice-a-day regimen of either 200 mg twice daily or 300 mg in the morning and 100 mg in the afternoon. A starting dosage of the sustained release version, 100 mg once a day, can be increased to 100 mg twice a day after 4 days. Then 150 mg twice a day may be used. A single dose of sustained release bupropion should never exceed 300 mg. The maximum dosage is 200 mg twice a day of the immediate release or extended release formulations. An advantage of the extended release preparation is that the patient can take a single daily dose of 450 mg after proper titration. For smoking cessation, the patient should start taking 150 mg a day of sustained release bupropion 10 to 14 days before quitting smoking. On the fourth day, the dosage should be increased to 150 mg twice daily. Treatment generally lasts 7 to 12 weeks. M-I-R-T-A-Z-A-P-I-N-A. Mirtazapine, Remeron, is unique among drugs used to treat major depression in that it increases both norepinephrine and serotonin through a mechanism other than reuptake blockade, as in the case of tricyclic agents or SSRS, or monoamine oxidase inhibition, as in the case of phenylzine or tranylcypramine. Mirtazapine is also more likely to reduce rather than cause nausea and diarrhea, the result of its effects on serotonin 5-HT3 receptors. Characteristic side effects include increased appetite and sedation. Pharmacologic actions. Mirtazapine is administered orally and is rapidly and completely absorbed. It has a half-life of about 30 hoursores. Peak concentration is achieved within 2 hoursores of ingestion, and steady state is reached after 6 days. Plasma clearance may be slowed up to 30% in persons with impaired hepatic function, up to 50% in those with impaired renal function, up to 40% slower in older men, and up to 10% slower in older women. The mechanism of action of mirtazapine is the antagonism of central presynaptic alpha-2 adrenergic receptors and blockade of postsynaptic serotonin 5-HT2 and 5-HT3 receptors. The alpha-2 adrenergic receptor antagonism causes the increased firing of norepinephrine and serotonin neurons. The potent antagonist of serotonin 5-HT2 and 5-HT3 receptors serves to decrease anxiety, relieve insomnia, and stimulate the appetite. Mirtazapine is a potent antagonist of histamine H1 receptors and is a moderately potent antagonist at alpha-1 adrenergic and muscarinic cholinergic receptors. Therapeutic indications. Mirtazapine is effective for the treatment of depression. It is highly sedating, making it a reasonable choice for use in depressed patients with severe or long-standing insomnia. Some patients find the residual daytime sedation associated with the initiation of treatment to be quite pronounced. However, the more extreme sedating properties of the drug generally lessen over the first week of treatment. Combined with the tendency to sometimes cause a ravenous appetite, mirtazapine is well-suited for depressed patients with melancholic features such as insomnia, weight loss, and agitation. Elderly depressed patients, in particular, are good candidates for mirtazapine. Young adults are more likely to object to this side effect profile. Mirtazapine's blockade of 5-HT3 receptors, a mechanism associated with medications used to combat the severe GI side effects of cancer chemotherapy agents, has led to the use of the drug in a similar role. In this population, sedation and stimulation of appetite clearly could be seen as being beneficial instead of unwelcome side effects.
Mirtazapine is often combined with SSR as erbenlafaxine to augment antidepressant response or counteract serotonergic side effects of those drugs, particularly nausea, agitation, and insomnia. Mirtazapine has no significant pharmacokinetic interactions with other antidepressants. Precautions and adverse reactions. Somnolence, the most common adverse effect of mirtazapine, occurs in more than 50% of persons. Persons starting mirtazapine should thus exercise caution when driving or operating dangerous machinery and even when getting out of bed at night. This adverse effect is why mirtazapine is almost always given before sleep. Mirtazapine potentiates the sedative effects of other CNS depressants, so potentially sedating prescription or over-the-counter drugs and alcohol should be avoided during the use of mirtazapine. Mirtazapine also causes dizziness in 7% of persons. It does not appear to increase the risk of seizures. Mania or hypomania occurred in clinical trials at a rate similar to that of other antidepressant drugs. Mirtazapine increases appetite in about one-third of patients. Mirtazapine may also increase serum cholesterol concentration to 20% or more above the upper limit of normal in 15% of persons and increase triglycerides to 500 mg per deciliter or more in 6% of persons. Elevations of alanine transaminase levels to more than three times the upper limit of normal were seen in 2% of mirtazapine-treated persons as opposed to 0.3% of placebo control subjects. Table 21-18. Adverse reactions reported with mirtazapine. Event. Patients, percent. Somnolence. 54. Dry mouth. 25. Increased appetite. 17. Constipation. 13. Weight gain. 12. Dizziness. 7. Myalgias. 5. Disturbing dreams. 4. In limited premarketing experience, the absolute neutrophil count dropped to 500 per millimeter or less within two months of the onset of use in 0.3% of persons, some of whom developed symptomatic infections. This hematologic condition was reversible in all cases and was more likely to occur when other risk factors for neutropenia were present. Increases in the frequency of neutropenia have not, however, been reported during the extensive post-marketing period. Persons who develop fever, chills, sore throat, mucous membrane ulceration, or other signs of infection should nevertheless be evaluated medically. If a low WBC count is found, mirtazapine should be immediately discontinued, and the infectious disease status should be followed closely. A small number of persons experience orthostatic hypotension while taking mirtazapine. Although no data exists regarding the effects on fetal development, mirtazapine should be used with caution during pregnancy. Mirtazapine use by pregnant women has not been studied, but because the drug may be excreted in breast milk, it should not be taken by nursing mothers. Because of the risk of a granulocytosis associated with mirtazapine use, persons should be attuned to signs of infection. Because of the sedating effects of mirtazapine, persons should determine the degree to which they are affected before engaging in driving or other potentially dangerous activities. Drug interactions. Mirtazapine can potentiate the sedation of alcohol and benzodiazepines. Mirtazapine should not be used within 14 days of use of an MAOI. Laboratory interferences. No laboratory interferences have yet been described for mirtazapine. Dosage and administration. Mirtazapine is available in 15, 30, and 45 mg scored tablets. Mirtazapine is also available in 15, 30, and 45 mg orally disintegrating tablets for persons who have difficulty swallowing pills. If persons fail to respond to the initial dose of 15 mg of mirtazapine before sleep, the dose may be increased in 15 mg increments every 5 days to a maximum of 45 mg before sleep. Lower dosages may be necessary for elderly persons or persons with renal or hepatic insufficiency. N-E-F-A-Z-O-D-O-N-E-A-N-D-T-R-A-Z-O-D-O-N-E. Nefazidone, Surzone, and Trazodone, Decyrol, are mechanistically and structurally related drugs approved as treatments for depression. Nefazidone, Surzone, is an analog of Trazodone. When Nefazidone was introduced in 1995, 
there were expectations that it would become widely used because it did not cause the sexual side effects and sleep disruption associated with the selective SSRIs. Although it was devoid of these side effects, it was nevertheless found to produce problematic sedation, nausea, dizziness, and visual disturbances. Consequently, nifazidone was never extensively adopted in clinical practice. This fact, as well as reports of rare cases of sometimes fatal hepatotoxicity, led the original manufacturer to discontinue the production of branded nifazidone in 2004. Generic nifazidone remains available in the United States. Trazodone received FDA approval in 1981 as a treatment for MDD. Its novel triazolopyridine chemical structure distinguished it from the TCS, and clinical trials suggested improved safety and tolerability compared with TCS. There were high expectations that it would replace the older drugs as a mainstay of treatment for depression. However, the extreme sedation associated with trazodone, even at subtherapeutic doses, limited the clinical effectiveness of the drug. However, its soporific properties made trazodone a favorite alternative to standard hypnotics as a sleep-inducing agent. Unlike conventional sleeping pills, trazodone is not a controlled substance. Nifazidone. Pharmacologic actions. Nifazidone is rapidly and completely absorbed but is then extensively metabolized so that the bioavailability of active compounds is about 20% of the oral dose. Its half-life is 2 to 4 hoursores. Steady-state concentrations of nifazidone and its principal active metabolite, hydroxynifazidone, are achieved within 4 to 5 days. Metabolism of nifazidone in elderly persons, especially women, is about half of that seen in younger persons, so lowered doses are recommended for elderly persons. An important metabolite of nifazidone is metachlorophenylpiperazine, MCPP, which has some serotonergic effects and may cause migraine, anxiety, and weight loss. Although nifazidone is an inhibitor of serotonin uptake and, more weakly, of norepinephrine reuptake, its antagonism of serotonin 5-H-TA receptors is thought to produce its anti-anxiety and antidepressant effects. Nifazidone is also a mild antagonist of the alpha-1 adrenergic receptors, which predisposes some persons to orthostatic hypotension but is not sufficiently potent to produce priapism. Therapeutic indications. Nifazidone is effective for the treatment of major depression. The usual effective dosage is 300 to 600 mg a day. In direct comparison with SSRS, nifazidone is less likely to cause inhibition of orgasm or decreased sexual desire. Nifazidone is also effective for the treatment of panic disorder and panic with comorbid depression or depressive symptoms, G. Alzheimer's disease, and PMDD and management of chronic pain. It is not useful for the treatment of OCD. Nifazidone increases rapid eye movement, REM, sleep and increases sleep continuity. Nifazidone is also of use in patients with PTSD and chronic fatigue syndrome. It may also be effective in patients who have been treatment-resistant to other antidepressant drugs. Precautions and adverse reactions. The most common reasons for discontinuing nifazidone use are sedation, nausea, dizziness, insomnia, weakness, and agitation. Many patients report no specific side effects but describe a vague sense of feeling medicated. Nifazidone also causes visual trails, in which patients see an afterimage when looking at moving objects or when moving their heads quickly. Table 21-19. Adverse reactions reported with nifazidone, 300 to 600 mg a day. Reaction. Patients, percent. Headache, 36. Dry mouth, 25. Somnolence, 25. Nausea, 22. Dizziness, 17. Constipation, 14. Insomnia, 11. Weakness, 11. Lightheadedness, 10. Blurred vision, 9. Dyspepsia, 9. Infection. 8. Confusion. 7. Scotomata. 7. A significant safety concern with the use of nifazidone is a severe elevation of hepatic enzymes, and, in some instances, liver failure. Accordingly, serial hepatic function tests need to be done when patients are treated with nifazidone. 
Hepatic effects can be seen early in treatment and are more likely to develop when nefazidone is combined with other drugs metabolized in the liver. Some patients taking nefazidone may experience a decrease in BP that can cause episodes of postural hypotension. Nefazidone should therefore be used with caution by persons with underlying cardiac conditions or history of stroke or heart attack, dehydration, or hypovolemia or by persons being treated with antihypertensive medications. Patients switched from SSRIs to nefazidone may experience an increase in side effects, possibly because nefazidone does not protect against SSRI withdrawal symptoms. One of its metabolites, MCPP, may intensify these discontinuation symptoms. Patients have survived nefazidone overdoses above 10 grams, but deaths have been reported when it has been combined with alcohol. Nausea, vomiting, and somnolence are the most common signs of toxicity. There are few studies or clinical reports of nefazidone during pregnancy. Nefazidone should, therefore, be used during pregnancy only if the potential benefit to the mother outweighs the potential risks to the fetus. It is not known whether nefazidone is excreted in human breast milk. Therefore, it should be used with caution by lactating mothers. The nefazidone dosage should be lowered in persons with severe hepatic disease, but no adjustment is necessary for persons with renal disease. Drug interactions and laboratory interferences. Nefazidone should not be given concomitantly with MAOIs. Also, nefazidone has particular drug-drug interactions with the triazolobenzodiazepines triazolam, halcyon, and alprazolam, Xanax, because of the inhibition of CYP3A4 by nefazidone. Potentially elevated levels of each of these drugs can develop after administration of nefazidone, but the levels of nefazidone are generally not affected. The dose of triazolam should be lowered by 75%, and the dose of alprazolam should be lowered by 50%, when given concomitantly with nefazidone. Nefazidone may slow the metabolism of digoxin. Therefore, digoxin levels should be monitored carefully in persons taking both medications. Nefazidone also slows the metabolism of haloperidol, haldol, so that the dosage of haloperidol should be reduced in persons taking both medications. The addition of nefazidone may also exacerbate the adverse effects of lithium carbonate, escalith. There are no known laboratory interferences associated with nefazidone. Dosage and clinical guidelines. Nefazidone is available in 50, 200, and 250 mg unscored tablets and 100 and 150 mg scored tablets. The recommended starting dosage of nefazidone is 100 mg twice a day, but 50 mg twice a day may be better tolerated, especially by elderly persons. The dosage should be slowly raised in increments of 100 to 200 mg a day at intervals of no less than one week per increase to limit the development of adverse effects. The optimal dosage is 300 to 600 mg daily in two divided doses. However, some studies report that nefazidone is effective when taken once a day, especially at bedtime. Geriatric persons should receive dosages about two-thirds of the usual non-geriatric dosages, with a maximum of 400 mg a day. Similar to other antidepressants, the clinical benefit of nefazidone usually appears after two to four weeks of treatment. Patients with the premenstrual syndrome are treated with a flexible dosage that averages about 250 mg a day. Trazodone. Pharmacologic actions. Trazodone is readily absorbed from the GI tract and reaches peak plasma levels in about one hoursore. It has a half-life of 5 to 9 hoursores. Trazodone is metabolized in the liver, and 75% of its metabolites are excreted in the urine. Trazodone is a weak inhibitor of serotonin reuptake and a potent antagonist of serotonin 5-HT2A and 5-HT2C receptors. The active metabolite of trazodone is MCPP, which is an agonist at 5-HT2C receptors and has a half-life of 14 hoursores. MCPP has been associated with migraine, anxiety, and weight loss. The adverse effects of trazodone are partially mediated by alpha-1 adrenergic receptor antagonism. Therapeutic indications. D-E-P-R-E-S-S-I-V-E-D-I-S-O-R-D-E-R-S. The main indication for the use of trazodone is MDD. There is a dose-response relationship, 
with dosages of 250 to 600 mg a day being necessary for trazodone to have therapeutic benefit. Trazodone increases total sleep time, decreases the number and the duration of nighttime awakenings, and decreases the amount of REM sleep. Unlike tricyclic drugs, trazodone does not decrease stage 4 sleep. Trazodone is thus useful for depressed persons with anxiety and insomnia. INSOMNIA. Trazodone is a first-line agent for the treatment of insomnia because of its marked sedative qualities and favorable effects on sleep architecture, see above, combined with its lack of anticholinergic effects. Trazodone is effective for insomnia caused by depression or the use of drugs. When used as a hypnotic, the usual initial dosage is 25 to 100 mg at bedtime. ERECTILADISORDER. Trazodone is associated with an increased risk of priapism. Trazodone can potentiate erections resulting from sexual stimulation. It has thus been used to prolong erectile time and turgidity in some men with erectile disorder. The dosage for this indication is 150 to 200 mg a day. Trazodone triggered priapism, an erection lasting more than three hours with pain, is a medical emergency. The use of trazodone for the treatment of male erectile dysfunction has diminished considerably since the introduction of phosphodiesterase, PDE, minus 5 agents, C. O-T-H-R-I-N-D-I-C-A-T-I-O-N-S. Trazodone may be useful in low dosages, 50 mg a day, for controlling severe agitation in children with developmental disabilities and elderly persons with dementia. At dosages above 250 mg a day, trazodone reduces the tension and apprehension associated with G. Alzheimer's disease. It has been used to treat depression in patients with schizophrenia. Trazodone may have a beneficial effect on insomnia and nightmares in persons with PTSD. Precautions and adverse reactions. The most common adverse effects associated with trazodone are sedation, orthostatic hypotension, dizziness, headache, and nausea. Some persons experience dry mouth or gastric irritation. The drug is not associated with anticholinergic adverse effects, such as urinary retention, weight gain, and constipation. A few case reports have noted an association between trazodone and arrhythmias in persons with pre-existing premature ventricular contractions or mitral valve prolapse. Neutropenia, usually not of clinical significance, may develop, which should be considered if persons have a fever or sore throat. Trazodone may cause significant orthostatic hypotension 4 to 6 hoursores after a dose is taken, especially if taken concurrently with antihypertensive agents or if a large dose is taken without food. Administration of trazodone with food slows absorption and reduces the peak plasma concentration thus reducing the risk of orthostatic hypotension. Because suicide attempts often involve the ingestion of sleeping pills, it is essential to be familiar with the symptoms and treatment of trazodone overdose. Patients have survived trazodone overdoses of more than 9 grams. Symptoms of overdose include lethargy, vomiting, drowsiness, headache, orthostasis, dizziness, dyspnea, tinnitus, myalgias, tachycardia, incontinence, shivering, and coma. Treatment consists of emesis or lavage and supportive care. Forced diuresis may enhance elimination. Treat hypotension and sedation as appropriate. Trazodone causes priapism, prolonged erection in the absence of sexual stimuli, in one of every 10,000 men. Trazodone-induced priapism usually appears in the first four weeks of treatment but may occur as late as 18 months into treatment. It can appear at any dose. In such cases, trazodone use should be discontinued, and another antidepressant should be used. Painful erections or erections lasting more than one hour sore are warning signs that warrant immediate discontinuation of the drug and medical evaluation. The first step in the emergency management of priapism is an intracavernosal injection of an alpha-1 adrenergic agonist presser agent, such as metaraminol, aramine, or epinephrine. In about one-third of reported cases, surgical intervention was required. In some cases, permanent impairment of erectile function or impotence resulted. The use of trazodone is contraindicated in pregnant and nursing women. Trazodone should be used with caution in persons with hepatic and renal diseases.
Drug interactions. Trazodone potentiates the CNS depressant effects of other centrally acting drugs in alcohol. Concurrent use of trazodone and antihypertensives may cause hypotension. No cases of hypertensive crisis have been reported when trazodone has been used to treat MAOI-associated insomnia. Trazodone can increase levels of digoxin and phenytoin. Trazodone should be used with caution in combination with warfarin. Drugs that inhibit CYP3A4 can increase levels of trazodone's primary metabolite, MCPP, leading to an increase in side effects. Laboratory interferences. No known laboratory interferences are associated with the administration of trazodone. Dosage and clinical guidelines. Trazodone is available in 50, 100, 150, and 300 mg tablets. Once a day dosing is as effective as divided dosing and reduces daytime sedation. The usual starting dose is 50 mg before sleep. The dosage can be increased in increments of 50 mg every three days if sedation or orthostatic hypotension does not become a problem. The therapeutic range for trazodone is 200 to 600 mg a day in divided doses. Some reports indicate that dosages of 400 to 600 mg a day are required for maximal therapeutic effects. Other reports indicate that 250 to 400 mg a day is sufficient. The dosage may be titrated up to 300 mg a day. Then, the person can be evaluated for the need for further dosage increases based on the presence or the absence of signs of clinical improvement. T-R-I-C-Y-C-L-I-C-S-A-N-D-T-E-T-R-A-C-Y-C-L-I-C-S. The observation in 1957 that amipramine, tofranol, had antidepressant effects led to the development of a new class of antidepressant compounds, the tricyclics, TCS. In turn, the finding that amipramine blocked reuptake of norepinephrine led to research into the role of catecholamines in depression. After the introduction of amipramine, several other antidepressant compounds were developed that shared a basic tricyclic structure and had relatively similar effects. Later, other heterocyclic compounds were also marketed that were somewhat similar in structure and that had relatively comparable secondary properties. At one time, amitriptyline, Elevil, Endep, and amipramine were the two most commonly prescribed antidepressants in the United States. However, because of their anticholinergic and antihistaminic side effects, they are rarely used for depression. Nortriptyline, Aventil, Pamelor, and Dizipramine, Norpramine, Pertofrane, became preferred. Nortriptyline has the least effect on orthostatic hypotension, and Dizipramine is the least anticholinergic. Although introduced as antidepressants, the therapeutic indications for these agents have grown to include panic disorder, G. Alzheimer's disease, PTSD, OCD, and pain syndromes. The introduction of newer antidepressant agents with more selective actions on neurotransmitters or with unique mechanisms of action has sharply reduced the prescribing of TCS and tetracyclics. The improved safety profiles of the newer drugs, especially when taken in overdose, also contributed to the decline in the use of older drugs. Nevertheless, the TCAs and tetracyclics remain unsurpassed in terms of their antidepressant efficacy. Lists TCA and tetracyclic drugs and their available preparations. Table 21-20. Tricyclic and tetracyclic drug preparations. Pharmacologic actions. The absorption of most TCAs is complete after oral administration, and there is significant metabolism from the first pass effect. Peak plasma concentrations occur within 2 to 8 haursores, and the half-lives of the TCAs vary from 10 to 70 haursores, nortriptyline, meprotoline, Ludiamil, and particularly protriptyline, Vivictyl, can have longer half-lives. The long half-lives allow all the compounds to be given once daily, five to seven days is needed to reach steady-state plasma concentrations. Amipramine Pomote, Tofranol, is a depot form of the drug for intramuscular, IM, administration. Indications for the use of this preparation are limited. The TC is undergo hepatic metabolism by the CYP450 enzyme system. Clinically relevant drug interactions may result from competition for enzyme CYP2D6 among TCAs and quinidine, cimetidine, tagamet, fluoxetine, Prozac, sertraline, Zoloft, 
paroxetine, Paxil, phenothiazines, carbamazepine, Tegretol, and the type 1C antiarrhythmics propafenone, Rhythmol, and flecainide, Tambocor. Concomitant administration of TCAs in these inhibitors may slow down the metabolism and raise the plasma concentrations of TCAs. Additionally, genetic variations in the activity of CYP2D6 may account for up to a 40-fold difference in plasma TCA concentrations in different persons. The dosage of the TCA may need to be adjusted to correct changes in the rate of hepatic TCA metabolism. The TCAs block the transporter site for norepinephrine and serotonin, thus increasing synaptic concentrations of these neurotransmitters. Each drug differs in its affinity for each of these transporters, with clomipramine, anaphronil, being the most serotonin-selective and dizipramine the most norepinephrine-selective of the TCAs. Secondary effects of the TCAs include antagonism at the muscarinic acetylcholine, histamine H1, and alpha-1 and alpha-2 adrenergic receptors. The potency of these effects on other receptors largely determines the side-effect profile of each drug. Amoxapine, nortriptyline, dizipramine, and meprotyline have the least anticholinergic activity. Doxepin has the most antihistaminergic activity. Although they are more likely to cause constipation, sedation, dry mouth, or lightheadedness than the SSRs, the TCAs are less prone to cause sexual dysfunction, significant long-term weight gain, and sleep disturbances than the SSRs. The half-lives and plasma clearance for most TCAs are very similar. Therapeutic indications. The indications are similar to those for the SSRs, which have widely replaced the TCAs. However, the TCAs represent a reasonable alternative for persons who cannot tolerate the adverse effects of the SSRs. Major depressive disorder. The treatment of a major depressive episode and the prophylactic treatment of MDD are the principal indications for using TCAs. Although the TCAs are effective in the treatment of depression in persons with bipolar eye disorder, they are more likely to induce mania, hypomania, or cycling than the newer antidepressants, most notably the SSRs and bupropion. It is thus not advised that TCAs be routinely used to treat depression associated with bipolar eye or bipolar eye disorder. Melancholic features, prior major depressive episodes, and a family history of depressive disorders increase the likelihood of therapeutic response. All of the available TCAs are equally effective in the treatment of depressive disorders. In the case of a person, however, one tricyclic or tetracyclic may be useful, and another one may be ineffective. The treatment of a major depressive episode with psychotic features almost always requires the CO administration of an antipsychotic drug and an antidepressant. Although it is used worldwide as an antidepressant, clomipramine is only approved in the United States for the treatment of OCD. Panic disorder with agoraphobia. Amipramine is the TCA most studied for panic disorder with agoraphobia, but other TCAs are also useful when taken at the usual antidepressant dosages. Because of the potential initial anxiogenic effects of the TCAs, starting dosages should be small, and the dosage should be titrated upward slowly. Small doses of benzodiazepines may be used initially to deal with this side effect. Generalized anxiety disorder. The FDA approves the use of doxepin for the treatment of anxiety disorders. Some research data show that amipramine may also be useful, although rarely used anymore. A chlordiazepoxide amitriptyline combination, Limbitrol, is available for mixed anxiety and depressive disorders. Obsessive-compulsive disorder. Patients with OCD appear to respond specifically to clomipramine, as well as the SSRs. Some improvement is usually seen in 2 to 4 weeks, but a further reduction in symptoms may continue for the first 4 to 5 months of treatment. None of the other TCAs appears to be nearly as effective as clomipramine for the treatment of this disorder. Clomipramine may also be a drug of choice for depressed persons with marked obsessive features. Pain. The TCAs are widely used to treat chronic neuropathic pain and in the prophylaxis of migraine headache. Amitriptyline is the TCA most often used in this role. During the treatment of pain, doses are generally lower than those used in depression, for example, 75 mg of amitriptyline may be sufficient. These effects also appear more rapidly.
Other disorders. Childhood enuresis is often treated with amipramine. Peptic ulcer disease can be treated with doxepin, which has marked antihistaminergic effects. Other indications for the TCS are narcolepsy, nightmare disorder, and PTSD. The drugs are sometimes used for the treatment of children and adolescents with Alzheimer's disease AD, sleepwalking disorder, separation anxiety disorder, and sleep terror disorder. Clomipramine has also been used to treat premature ejaculation, movement disorders, and compulsive behavior in children with autistic disorders. However, because the TCS have caused sudden death in several children and adolescents, they should not be used in children. Precautions and adverse reactions. The TCS are associated with a wide range of problematic side effects and can be lethal when taken in overdose. Psychiatric effects. The TCS can induce a switch to mania or hypomania in susceptible individuals. The TCS may also exacerbate psychotic disorders in susceptible persons. At high plasma concentrations, levels above 300 nanogram per milliliter, the anticholinergic effects of the TCS can cause confusion or delirium. Patients with dementia are particularly vulnerable to this development. Anticholinergic effects. Anticholinergic effects often limit the tolerable dosage to relatively low ranges. Some persons may develop a tolerance for the anticholinergic effects with continued treatment. Anticholinergic effects include dry mouth, constipation, blurred vision, delirium, and urinary retention. Sugarless gum, candy, or fluoride lozenges can alleviate dry mouth. Bethanicol, uracoline, 25 to 50 mg 3 or 4 times a day, may reduce urinary hesitancy and may be helpful in erectile dysfunction when the drug is taken 30 minutes before sexual intercourse. Anticholinergic drugs can also aggravate narrow-angle glaucoma, and the precipitation of glaucoma requires emergency treatment with a meiotic agent. The TCS should be avoided in persons with narrow-angle glaucoma, and an SSRI should be substituted. Severe anticholinergic effects can lead to CNS anticholinergic syndrome. This syndrome includes symptoms of confusion and delirium, especially if the TCS are administered with DRS or anticholinergic drugs. IM or IV physostigmine, antelirium, eserine, is used to diagnose and treat anticholinergic delirium. Cardiac effects. When administered in their usual therapeutic dosages, the TCS may cause tachycardia, flattened T waves, prolonged QT intervals, and depressed ST segments in the electrocardiographic, ECG, recording. Amipramine has a quinidine-like effect at therapeutic plasma concentrations and may reduce the number of premature ventricular contractions. Because the drugs prolong conduction time, their use in persons with pre-existing conduction defects is contraindicated. In persons with a history of any type of heart disease, the TCS should be used only after SSRIs or other newer antidepressants have been found ineffective, and if used, they should be introduced at low dosages, with gradual increases in dosage and monitoring of cardiac functions. All of the TCS can cause tachycardia, which may persist for months and is one of the most common reasons for drug discontinuation, especially in younger persons. At high plasma concentrations, as seen in overdoses, the drugs become arrhythmogenic. Other autonomic effects. Orthostatic hypotension is the most common cardiovascular autonomic adverse effect, and the most common reason TCS are discontinued. It can result in falls and injuries in affected persons. Nortriptyline may be the drug least likely to cause this problem. Orthostatic hypotension is treated with avoidance of caffeine, intake of at least 2 L of fluid per day, and addition of salt to the diet unless the person is being treated for hypertension. In persons taking antihypertensive agents, reduction of the dosage may reduce the risk of orthostatic hypotension. Other possible autonomic effects are profuse sweating, palpitations, and increased BP. Although some persons respond to fludrocortisone, fluoronef, 0.02 to 0.05 mg twice a day, the drug has potential toxicities. It is preferable to substitute an SSRI than to use a mineralocorticoid such as fludrocortisone. The TCS use should be discontinued several days before elective surgery because of the occurrence of hypertensive episodes during surgery in persons receiving TCS. Sedation. 
Sedation is a common effect of the TC as and may be welcomed if sleeplessness has been a problem. The sedative effect of the TC as is a result of anticholinergic and antihistaminergic activities. Amitriptyline, trimipramine, and doxepin are the most sedating agents. Amipramine, amoxapine, nortriptyline, and meprotyline are less sedating, and dizipramine and protriptyline are the least sedating agents. Neurologic effects. A fine, rapid tremor may occur. Myoclonic twitches and tremors of the tongue and the upper extremities are common. Rare effects include speech blockage, paresthesia, perineal palsies, and ataxia. Amoxapine is unique in causing Parkinsonian symptoms, akathisia, and even dyskinesia because of the dopaminergic blocking activity of one of its metabolites. Amoxapine may also cause neuroleptic malignant syndrome in rare cases. Meprotoline may cause seizures when the dosage is increased too quickly or is kept at high levels for too long. Clomipramine and amoxapine may lower the seizure threshold more than other drugs in the class. As a class, however, the TCAs have a relatively low risk for inducing seizures except in persons who are at risk for seizures, e.g., persons with epilepsy and those with brain lesions. Although such persons can still use the TCAs, the initial dosages should be lower than usual, and subsequent dosage increases should be gradual. Allergic and hematologic effects. Exanthematous rashes are seen in 4-5% of all persons treated with meprotoline. Jaundice is rare. Agranulocytosis, leukocytosis, leukopenia, and eosinophilia are rare complications of TCA treatment. However, a person who has a sore throat or a fever during the first few months of TCA treatment should have ACBC done immediately. Hepatic effects. Mild and self-limited increases in serum transaminase concentrations may occur and should be monitored. The TCAs can also produce a fulminant acute hepatitis in 0.1 to 1% of persons. This side effect can be life-threatening, and the antidepressant should be discontinued. Other adverse effects. Modest weight gain is typical. Amoxapine exerts ADRA effect and may cause hyperprolactinemia, impotence, galactorrhea, anorgasmia, and ejaculatory disturbances. Other TCAs have also been associated with gynecomastia and amenorrhea. The syndrome of inappropriate secretion of antidiuretic hormone has also been reported with TCAs. Other effects include nausea, vomiting, and hepatitis. T-E-R-A-T-O-G-E-N-I-C-I-T-A-N-D-P-R-E-G-N-A-N-C-Y-R-E-L-A-T-E-D-R-I-S-K-S. -E -E a definitive link between the tricyclic compounds and tetracyclic compounds and teratogenic effects has not been established, but isolated reports of morphogenesis have been reported. TC is cross the placenta, and neonatal drug withdrawal can occur. This syndrome includes tachypnea, cyanosis, irritability, and poor sucking reflex. If possible, tricyclic and tetracyclic medications should be discontinued one week before delivery. Recently, norepinephrine and serotonin transporters have been identified in the placenta. They appear to play an essential role in the clearance of these amines in the fetus. The understanding of the effects of reuptake inhibitors on these transporters during pregnancy is limited. However, one study compared intelligence and language development in 80 children exposed to TC as during pregnancy with 84 children exposed to other nonteratogenic agents and found no deleterious effects of the TC as. The TCAs are excreted in breast milk at concentrations similar to plasma. The actual quantity delivered, however, is small, so drug levels in the infant are usually undetectable or very low. Because the risk of relapse is a serious concern in patients with recurrent depression, and these risks may be increased during pregnancy or the postpartum period, the risks and benefits of continuing or withdrawing treatment need to be discussed with the patient and weighed carefully. Precautions. The TCAs may cause a withdrawal syndrome in newborns consisting of tachypnea, cyanosis, irritability, and poor sucking reflex. The drugs do pass into breast milk but at concentrations that are usually undetectable in the infant's plasma. We should use these drugs cautiously in patients with hepatic or renal diseases. The TCAs should not be administered during a course of ECT, primarily because of the risk of serious adverse cardiac effects. 
Drug interactions. Monoamine oxidase inhibitors. The TCS should not be taken within 14 days of administration of an MAOI. Antihypertensives. The TCS block the therapeutic effects of antihypertensive medication. The TCS may block the antihypertensive effects of the beta-adrenergic receptor antagonists, e.g., propranolol, indorol, and clonidine, catapris. The CO administration of ATCA and alpha-methyldopa, aldomet, may cause behavioral agitation. Antiarrhythmic drugs. The antiarrhythmic properties of TCS can be additive to those of quinidine, an effect that is further exacerbated by the inhibition of TCA metabolism by quinidine. Dopamine receptor antagonists. Concurrent administration of TCS and DRS increases the plasma concentrations of both drugs. Dizipramine plasma concentrations may increase twofold during concurrent administration with perfenazine, trilophon. The DRS also add to the anticholinergic and sedative effects of the TCS. Concomitant use of SDS also increases those effects. Central nervous system depressants. Opioids, alcohol, anxiolytics, hypnotics, and over-the-counter cold medications have additive effects by causing CNS depression when co-administered with TCS. Persons should be advised to avoid driving or using dangerous equipment if sedated by TCS. Sympathomimetics. Tricyclic drug use with sympathomimetic drugs may cause serious cardiovascular effects. Oral contraceptives. Birth control pills may decrease TCA plasma concentrations through the induction of hepatic enzymes. Other drug interactions. Nicotine may reduce TCA concentrations. Plasma concentrations may also be lowered by ascorbic acid, ammonium chloride, barbiturates, cigarette smoking, carbamazepine, chloral hydrate, lithium, escalith, and primidone, mycelene. TCA plasma concentrations may be increased by concurrent use of acetazolamide, diamox, sodium bicarbonate, acetylsalicylic acid, cimetidine, thiazide diuretics, fluoxetine, peroxetine, and fluvoxamine, luvox. Plasma concentrations of the TCS may rise three to fourfold when administered concurrently with fluoxetine, fluvoxamine, and peroxetine. Laboratory interferences. The tricyclic compounds are present at low concentrations and are not likely to interfere with other laboratory assays. They may interfere with the determination of conventional neuroleptic blood concentrations because of their structural similarity and the low concentrations of some neuroleptics. Dosage and clinical guidelines. Persons who intend to take TCA should undergo routine physical and laboratory examinations, including ACBC, AWBC count with differential, and serum electrolytes with liver function tests. An ECG should be obtained for all persons, especially women older than 40 years of age and men older than 30 years of age. The TCAs are contraindicated in persons with AQTC greater than 450 milliseconds. The initial dose should be small and should be raised gradually. Because of the availability of highly effective alternatives to TCAs, a newer agent should be used if there is any medical condition that may interact adversely with the TCAs. Elderly persons and children are more sensitive to TCA adverse effects than are young adults. In children, the ECG should be regularly monitored during the use of ATCA. The available preparations of TCAs are presented in. The dosages and therapeutic blood levels for the TCAs vary among the drugs. Except for protriptyline, all of the TCAs should be started at 25 mg a day and increased as tolerated. Divided doses at first reduce the severity of the adverse effects, although most of the dosage should be given at night to help induce sleep if a sedating drug such as amitriptyline is used. Eventually, the entire daily dose can be given at bedtime. A common clinical mistake is to stop increasing the dosage when the person is tolerating the drug but taking less than the maximum therapeutic dose and does not show clinical improvement. The clinician should routinely assess the person's pulse and orthostatic changes in BP while the dosage is being increased. Nortriptyline use should be started at 25 mg a day. Most patients need only 75 mg a day to achieve a blood level of 100 mg per nanoliter. However, the dosage may be raised to 150 mg a day if needed. 
Amoxapine use should be started at 150 mg a day and raised to 400 mg a day. Protriptyline use should be started at 15 mg a day and raised to 60 mg a day. Meprotoline has been associated with an increased incidence of seizures. This risk is most significant if the dosage is raised too quickly or is maintained at too high a level. Meprotoline use should be started at 25 mg a day and increased over 4 weeks to 225 mg a day. It should be kept at that level for only 6 weeks and then be reduced to 175 to 200 mg a day. Table 21 to 21. General information for the tricyclic and tetracyclic antidepressants. Generic name. Trade name. Usual adult dosage range, mg per day. Therapeutic plasma concentrations, microgram per milliliter. Amipramine. Tofranil. 150 to 300. 150 to 300. Dizipramine. Norpramine, protofrane. 150 to 300. 150 to 300. Trimipramine. Sermontiel. 150 to 300. 150 to 300. Amitriptyline. Elevil, Endep. 150 to 300. 100 to 250. Nortriptyline. Pamelor, Avental. 50 to 150. 50 to 150, maximum. Protriptyline. Vivictyl. 15 to 60. 75 to 250. Amoxapine. Ascendin. 150 to 400. 200 to 500. Doxapin. Adipin, Sinequan. 150 to 300. 100 to 250. Meprotoline. Ludiamil. 150 to 230. 150 to 300. Clomipramine. Anaphranil. 130 to 250. 50 to 250. Exact range may vary among laboratories. Includes parent compound and desmethyl metabolite. Estimated from limited studies. Persons with chronic pain may be particularly sensitive to adverse effects when TCA use is started. Therefore, treatment should begin with low dosages that are raised in small increments. However, persons with chronic pain may experience relief on long-term low-dosage therapy, such as amitriptyline or nortriptyline at 10 to 75 mg a day. The TCA should be avoided in children except as a last resort. Dosing guidelines in children for amipramine include initiation at 1.5 mg per kilogram a day. The dosage can be titrated to no more than 5 mg per kilogram a day. In enuresis, the dosage is usually 50 to 100 mg a day, taken at bedtime. Clomipramine use can be initiated at 50 mg a day and increased to no more than 3 mg per kilogram per day or 200 mg a day. When TCA treatment is discontinued, the dosage should first be decreased to three-fourths the maximal dosage for a month. At that time, if no symptoms are present, drug use can be tapered by 25 mg, 5 mg for protriptyline, every 4 to 7 days. Slow tapering avoids a cholinergic rebound syndrome consisting of nausea, upset stomach, sweating, headache, neck pain, and vomiting. This syndrome can be treated by reinstituting a small dosage of the drug and tapering more slowly than before. Several case reports note the appearance of rebound mania or hypomania after the abrupt discontinuation of TCA use. Plasma concentrations and therapeutic drug monitoring. Clinical determinations of plasma concentrations should be conducted after 5 to 7 days on the same dosage of medication and 8 to 12 hour sores after the last dose. Because of variations in absorption and metabolism, there may be a 30-50 to 50 fold difference in the plasma concentrations in persons given the same dosage of ATCA. Nortriptyline is unique in its association with a therapeutic window, that is, plasma concentrations below 50 nanogram per milliliter or above 150 nanogram per milliliter may reduce its efficacy. Plasma concentrations may be useful in confirming compliance, assessing reasons for drug failures, and documenting effective plasma concentrations for future treatment. Clinicians should always treat the person and not the plasma concentration.
some persons have adequate clinical responses with seemingly subtherapeutic plasma concentrations, and other persons only respond at supertherapeutic plasma concentrations without experiencing adverse effects. The latter situation, however, should alert the clinician to monitor the person's condition with, for example, serial ECG recordings. Overdose attempts. Overdose attempts with TCAs are severe and can often be fatal. Prescriptions for these drugs should be non-refillable and for no longer than one week at a time for patients at risk for suicide. Amoxapine may be more likely than the other TCAs to result in death when taken in overdose. The newer antidepressants are safer in overdose. Symptoms of overdose include agitation, delirium, convulsions, hyperactive deep tendon reflexes, bowel and bladder paralysis, dysregulation of BP and temperature, and mydriasis. The patient then progresses to coma and perhaps respiratory depression. Cardiac arrhythmias may not respond to treatment. Because of the long half-lives of TCS, the patients are at risk of cardiac arrhythmias for three to four days after the overdose, so they should be monitored in intensive care medical settings. M-O-N-O-A-M-I-N-E-O-X-I-D-A-S-E-I-N-H-I-B-I-T-O-R-S Introduced in the late 1950s, MAOIs were the first class of approved antidepressant drugs. The first of these drugs, isoniazid, was intended to be used as a treatment for tuberculosis, but its antidepressant properties were discovered by chance when some treated patients experienced elevation of mood during treatment. Despite their effectiveness, prescription of MAOIs as first-line agents has always been limited by concern about the development of potentially lethal hypertension and the consequent need for a restrictive diet. The use of MAOIs declined further after the introduction of the SSRIs and other new agents. They are now mainly relegated to use in treatment-resistant cases. Thus, the second-line status of MAOIs has less to do with considerations of efficacy than with safety concerns. The currently available MAOIs include phenylzine, nardial, isocarboxazid, marplan, tranylcypramine, parnate, risagiline, azelect, moclobamide, manerix, and selegiline, eldipril. Two subsequent advances in the field of antidepressant MAOIs involve the introduction of a selective reversible inhibitor of MAOA, RIMA, moclobamide, manerix, in the early 1990s in most countries except the United States, and in 2005, the introduction of a transdermal delivery form of selegiline, MSAM, in the United States that is used for the treatment of Parkinsonism. Other RIMA agents, including brofaramine, consonor, and bifloxetone, have not been submitted for registration despite favorable outcomes in clinical trials. Pharmacologic actions. Phenylzine, tranylcypramine, and isocarboxazid are readily absorbed after oral administration and reach peak plasma concentrations within two haursores. Whereas their plasma half-lives are in the range of two to three haursores, their tissue half-lives are considerably longer. Because they irreversibly inactivate MAOs, the therapeutic effect of a single dose of irreversible MAOIs may persist for as long as two weeks. The RIMA moclobamide is rapidly absorbed and has a half-life of 0.5 to 3.5 haursores. Because it is a reversible inhibitor, moclobamide has a much briefer clinical effect after a single dose than do irreversible MAOIs. The MAO enzymes are found on the outer membranes of mitochondria, where they degrade cytoplasmic and extraneuronal monoamine neurotransmitters such as norepinephrine, serotonin, dopamine, epinephrine, and tyramine. MAOIs act in the CNS, the sympathetic nervous system, the liver, and the GI tract. There are two types of MAOs, MAOA and MAOB. MAOA primarily metabolizes norepinephrine, serotonin, and epinephrine. Both MAOA and MAOB metabolize dopamine and tyramine. The structures of phenylzine and tranylcypramine are similar to those of amphetamine and have similar pharmacologic effects in that they increase the release of dopamine and norepinephrine with attendant stimulant effects on the brain. Therapeutic indications. MAOIs are used for the treatment of depression. Some research indicates that phenylzine is more effective than TC as in depressed patients with mood reactivity extreme sensitivity to interpersonal loss or rejection, 
prominent anergia, hyperphagia, and hypersomnia, a constellation of symptoms conceptualized as atypical depression. Evidence also suggests that MAOIs are more effective than TC as is a treatment for bipolar depression. Patients with panic disorder and social phobia respond well to MAOIs. MAOIs have also been used to treat bulimia nervosa, PTSD, anginal pain, atypical facial pain, migraine, Alzheimer's disease AD, idiopathic orthostatic hypotension, and depression associated with traumatic brain injury. Precautions and adverse reactions. The most frequent adverse effects of MAOIs are orthostatic hypotension, insomnia, weight gain, edema, and sexual dysfunction. Orthostatic hypotension can lead to dizziness and falls. Thus, cautious upward tapering of the dosage should be used to determine the maximum tolerable dosage. Treatment for orthostatic hypotension includes avoidance of caffeine, intake of 2L of fluid per day, addition of dietary salt or adjustment of antihypertensive drugs, if applicable, support stockings, and in severe cases, treatment with fludrocortisone, Florinef, a mineralocorticoid, 0.1 to 0.2 mg a day. Orthostatic hypotension associated with tranylcypramine use can usually be relieved by dividing the daily dosage. Insomnia can be treated by dividing the dose, not giving the medication after dinner, and using a benzodiazepine hypnotic if necessary. Weight gain, edema, and sexual dysfunction often do not respond to any treatment and may warrant switching to another agent. When switching from one MAOI to another, the clinician should taper and stop the use of the first drug for 10 to 14 days before beginning the use of the second drug. Paresthesias, myoclonus, and muscle pains are occasionally seen in persons treated with MAOIs. Paresthesias may be secondary to MAOI-induced pyridoxine deficiency, which may respond to supplementation with pyridoxine, 50 to 150 mg orally each day. Occasionally, persons complain of feeling drunk or confused, perhaps indicating that the dosage should be reduced and then increased gradually. Reports that the hydrazine MAOIs are associated with hepatoxic effects are relatively uncommon. MAOIs are less cardiotoxic and less epileptogenic than are the tricyclic and tetracyclic drugs. The most common adverse effects of the RIMA moclobamide are dizziness, nausea, and insomnia or sleep disturbance. RIMAs cause fewer GI adverse effects than do SSRIs. Moclobamide does not have adverse anticholinergic or cardiovascular effects, and it has not been reported to interfere with sexual function. MAOIs should be used with caution by persons with renal disease, cardiovascular disease, or hyperthyroidism. MAOIs may alter the dosage of a hypoglycemic agent required by persons with diabetes. MAOIs have been significantly associated with the induction of mania in persons in the depressed phase of bipolar eye disorder and triggering a psychotic decompensation in persons with schizophrenia. MAOIs are contraindicated during pregnancy, although data on their teratogenic risk are minimal. Nursing women should not take MAOIs because the drugs can pass into breast milk. Tyramine-induced hypertensive crisis. The most worrisome side effect of MAOIs is a tyramine-induced hypertensive crisis. The amino acid tyramine is usually transformed via GI metabolism. However, MAOIs inactivate GI metabolism of dietary tyramine, thus allowing intact tyramine to enter the circulation. A hypertensive crisis may subsequently occur as a result of a powerful pressor effect of the amino acid. Tyramine-containing foods should be avoided for two weeks after the last dose of an irreversible MAOI to allow the resynthesis of adequate concentrations of MAO enzymes. Accordingly, foods rich in tyramine, or other sympathomimetic amines, such as ephedrine, pseudoephedrine, pseudofed, or dextromethorphan, trochal, should be avoided by persons who are taking irreversible MAOIs. Patients should be advised to continue the dietary restrictions for two weeks after they stop MAOI treatment to allow the body to resynthesize the enzyme. Bee stings may cause a hypertensive crisis. In addition to severe hypertension, other symptoms may include headache, stiff neck, diaphoresis, nausea, and vomiting. A patient with these symptoms should seek immediate medical treatment.
An MAOI-induced hypertensive crisis should be treated with alpha-adrenergic antagonists, for example, phentolamine, regitine, or chlorpromazine, thorazine. These drugs lower BP within 5 minutes. IV furosemide, Lasix, can be used to reduce fluid load, and a beta-adrenergic receptor antagonist can control tachycardia. A sublingual 10-mg dose of nifedipine, Procardia, can be given and repeated after 20 minutes. Persons with thyrotoxicosis or pheochromocytoma should not use MAOIs. The risk of tyramine-induced hypertensive crises is relatively low for persons who are taking RIMS, such as moclobamide and bifloxetone. These drugs have relatively little inhibitory activity for MAOB, and because they are reversible, regular activity of existing MAOA returns within 16 to 48 hours source of the last dose of ARIMA. Therefore, the dietary restrictions are less stringent for RIMS, applying only to foods containing high concentrations of tyramine, which need to be avoided for three days after the last dose of ARIMA. A reasonable dietary recommendation for persons taking RIMS is to avoid eating tyramine containing foods one hour sore before and two hour sores after taking ARIMA. Table 21-22. Tyramine-rich foods to be avoided in planning monoamine oxidase inhibitor diets. High tyramine content is greater than or equal to 2 mg of tyramine a serving. Cheese. English Stilton, blue cheese, white, 3 years old, extra old, old cheddar, Danish blue, mozzarella, cheese snack spreads. Fish, cured meats, sausage, pâtés and organs, salami, mortadella, air-dried sausage. Alcoholic beverages. Liqueurs and concentrated after-dinner drinks. Marmite, concentrated yeast extract. Sauerkraut, crackus. Moderate tyramine content, 0.5 to 1.99 mg of tyramine a serving. Cheese. Swiss Gruyere, Munster, Feta, Parmesan, Gorgonzola, Blue Cheese Dressing, Black Diamond. Fish, cured meats, sausage, pâtés and organs. Chicken liver, 5 days old, bologna. Aged sausage, smoked meat, salmon mousse. Alcoholic beverages, beer and ale, 12 ounces per bottle, Amstel, Export Draft, Blue Light, Guinness Extra Stout, Old Vienna, Canadian, Miller Light, Export, Heineken, Blue Wines, Perfor Ozglas, Rioja, Red Wine. Low tyramine content, 0.01 to greater than 0.49 mg of tyramine a serving. Cheese, Brie, Camembert, Cambozola with or without rind. Fish, cured meat, sausage, organs, and pâtés pickled herring, smoked fish, kielbasa sausage, chicken liver, liverwurst, less than two days old. Alcoholic beverages, red wines, sherry, scotch. Others, banana or avocado, ripe or not, banana peel. Any food left out to age or spoil can spontaneously develop tyramine through fermentation. Alcohol can produce profound orthostasis interacting with monoamine oxidase inhibitors, MAOIs, but cannot produce direct hypotensive reactions. White wines, gin, and vodka have no tyramine content. Table by Jonathan M. Himmelhotch, M.D. Spontaneous, nontyramine-induced hypertensive crisis is a rare occurrence, usually shortly after the first exposure of an MAOI. Persons experiencing such a crisis should avoid MAOIs altogether. Withdrawal. Abrupt cessation of regular doses of MAOIs may cause a self-limited discontinuation syndrome consisting of arousal, mood disturbances, and somatic symptoms. Dosages should be gradually tapered over several weeks to avoid these symptoms. Overdose. It often takes one to six sores after an overdose for the toxic symptoms to occur. MAOI overdose is characterized by agitation that can progress to coma with hyperthermia, hypertension, tachypnea, tachycardia, dilated pupils, and hyperactive deep tendon reflexes. Involuntary movements may be present, particularly in the face and the jaw. Acidification of the urine markedly hastens the excretion of MAOIs, and dialysis can be of some use.
Phentolamine or chlorpromazine may be useful if hypertension is a problem. Moclobamide alone in overdosage causes relatively mild and reversible symptoms. Table 21-23. Drugs to be avoided during monoamine oxidase inhibitor treatment, partial listing. Never use. Antiasmatics. Antihypertensives, methyl dopa, guanethidine, reserpine, buspirone, levodopa, opioids, especially meperidine, dextromethorphan, propoxyphene, tramadol, morphine or codeine may be less dangerous. Cold, allergy, or sinus medications containing dextromethorphan or sympathomimetics. SSRIs, clomipramine, venlafaxine, subutramine. Sympathomimetics, amphetamines, cocaine, methylphenidate, dopamine, epinephrine, norepinephrine, isoproterenol, ephedrine, pseudoephedrine, phenylpropanolamine. L-tryptophan. Use carefully. Anticholinergics. Antihistamines. Disulfiram. Bromocryptine. Hydrolazine. Sedative hypnotics. Turpin hydrate with codeine. Tricyclics and tetracyclics. Avoid clomipramine. SSRI. Selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. Drug interactions. The significant drug-drug interactions involving MAOIs are listed in. Most antidepressants, as well as precursor agents, should be avoided. Persons should be instructed to tell any other physicians or dentists who are treating them that they are taking an MAOI. MAOIs may potentiate the action of CNS depressants, including alcohol and barbiturates. MAOIs should not be co-administered with serotonergic drugs, such as SSRIs and clomipramine, anaphronil, because this combination can trigger serotonin syndrome. The use of lithium or tryptophan with an irreversible MAOI may also induce serotonin syndrome. Initial symptoms of serotonin syndrome can include tremor, hypertonicity, myoclonus, and autonomic signs, which can then progress to hallucinosis, hyperthermia, and even death. Fatal reactions had occurred when MAOIs were combined with meperidine, demerol, or fentanyl, sublimase. When switching from an irreversible MAOI to any other type of antidepressant drug, persons should wait at least 14 days after the last dose of the MAOI before beginning the use of the next drug to allow replenishment of the body's MAOs. When switching from an antidepressant to an irreversible MAOI, persons should wait 10 to 14 days, or 5 weeks for fluoxetine, Prozac, before starting the use of the MAOI to avoid drug-drug interactions. In contrast, MAO activity recovers completely 24 to 48 howersores after the last dose of ARIMA. The effects of the MAOIs on hepatic enzymes are poorly studied. Tranylcypramine inhibits CYP2C19. Moclobamide inhibits CYP2D6, CYP2C19 and CYP1A2 and as a substrate for 2C19. Cimetidine, tagamet, and fluoxetine significantly reduce the elimination of moclobamide. Modest doses of fluoxetine and moclobamide administered concurrently may be well tolerated, with no significant pharmacodynamic or pharmacokinetic interactions. Laboratory interferences. MAOIs may lower blood glucose concentrations. MAOIs artificially raise urinary metanephrine concentrations and may cause a false positive test result for pheochromocytoma or neuroblastoma. MAOIs have been reported to be associated with a minimal false elevation in thyroid function test results. Dosage and clinical guidelines. There is no definitive rationale for choosing one irreversible MAOI over another. Lists MAOI preparations and typical dosages. Phenylzine use should begin with a test dose of 15 mg on the first day. The dosage can be increased to 15 mg three times daily during the first week and increased by 15 mg a day each week after that until the dosage of 90 mg a day, in divided doses, is reached by the end of the fourth week. Tranylcypramine and isocarboxazid use should begin with a test dosage of 10 mg and may be increased to 10 mg three times daily by the end of the first week. Many clinicians and researchers have recommended upper limits of 50 mg a day for isocarboxazid and 40 mg a day for tranylcypramine.
Administration of tranylcypramine in multiple small daily doses may reduce its hypotensive effects. Table 21-24. Typical dosage forms and recommended dosages for currently available monoamine oxidase inhibitors. Drug. Usual dose, mg per day. Maximum dose, mg per day. Dosage, oral, formulation. Isocarboxazid, Marplan. 20-40. 60. 10 mg tablets. Phenylzine, Nardial. 30-60. 90. 15 mg tablets. Tranylcypramine, Parnate. 20 to 60. 60. 10 mg tablets. Resagiline. 0.5 to 1.0. 1.0. 0.5 mg tablets. Selegiline, Eldipril. 10. 30. 5 mg tablets. Moclobamide, Menarix. 300 to 600. 600. 100 or 150 mg tablets. Even though CO administration of MAOIs with TCS, SSRS, or lithium is generally contraindicated, these combinations have been used successfully and safely to treat patients with refractory depression. However, they should be used with extreme caution. Hepatic transaminase serum concentrations should be monitored periodically because of the potential for hepatotoxicity, especially with phenylzine and isocarboxazid. Elderly persons may be more sensitive to MAOI adverse effects than our younger adults. MAO activity increases with age, so MAOI dosages for elderly persons are the same as those required for younger adults. We know little about using MAOIs in children. Studies have suggested that transdermal selegiline has antidepressant properties. Although selegiline is a type B inhibitor at low doses, it becomes less selective as the dose is increased. THYROIDHORMONS Thyroid hormones, levothyroxine, synthroid, levothroid, levoxine, and lyothyronine. Cytomel, are used in psychiatry either alone or as an augmentation to treat persons with depression or rapid cycling bipolar eye disorder. They can convert an antidepressant non-responsive person into an antidepressant responsive person. Thyroid hormones are also used as replacement therapy for persons treated with lithium, escalith, who have developed a hypothyroid state. Successful use of thyroid hormone as an intervention for treatment-resistant patients was first reported in the early 1970s. Study results since then have been mixed. However, most show that patients taking triiodothyronine, T3, are twice as likely to respond to antidepressant treatment versus placebo. These studies have found that augmentation with T3 is significant with TC as an SSR is. Nevertheless, many endocrinologists object to the use of thyroid hormones as antidepressant augmentation agents, citing such risks as osteoporosis and cardiac arrhythmias. Pharmacologic actions. Thyroid hormones are administered orally, and their absorption from the GI tract is variable. Absorption is increased if the drug is administered on an empty stomach. Thyroxine, T4, crosses the blood-brain barrier and diffuses into neurons, where it is converted into T3, which is the physiologically active form. The half-life of T4 is 6-7 to seven days, and that of T3 is 1-2 to two days. The mechanism of action for thyroid hormone effects on antidepressant efficacy is unknown. Thyroid hormone binds to intracellular receptors that regulate the transcription of a wide range of genes, including several receptors for neurotransmitters. Therapeutic indications. The primary indication for thyroid hormones in psychiatry is as an adjuvant to antidepressants. There is no clear correlation between the laboratory measures of thyroid function and the response to thyroid hormone supplementation of antidepressants. If a patient has not responded to a six-week course of antidepressants at appropriate dosages, adjuvant therapy with either lithium or a thyroid hormone is an alternative. Most clinicians use adjuvant lithium before trying a thyroid hormone. Several controlled trials have indicated that lyothyronine use converts about 50% of antidepressant non-responders to responders. The dosage of lyothyronine is 25 or 50 micrograms a day added to the patient's antidepressant regimen.
Liothyronine has been used primarily as an adjuvant for tricyclic drugs. However, evidence suggests that liothyronine augments the effects of all of the antidepressant drugs. Thyroid hormones have not been shown to cause particular problems in pediatric or geriatric patients. However, the hormones should be used with caution in elderly persons who may have occult heart disease. Precautions and adverse reactions. At the dosages usually used for augmentation, 25 to 50 micrograms a day, adverse effects occur infrequently. The most common adverse effects associated with thyroid hormones are transient headache, weight loss, palpitations, nervousness, diarrhea, abdominal cramps, sweating, tachycardia, increased BP, tremors, and insomnia. Osteoporosis may also occur with long-term treatment, but this has not been found in studies involving liothyronine augmentation. Overdoses of thyroid hormones can lead to cardiac failure and death. Patients with cardiac disease, angina, or hypertension should not take thyroid hormones. The hormones are contraindicated in thyrotoxicosis and uncorrected adrenal insufficiency in persons with acute myocardial infarctions. Thyroid hormones can be administered safely to pregnant women, provided that laboratory thyroid indexes are monitored. Thyroid hormones are minimally excreted in breast milk and have not been shown to cause problems in nursing babies. Drug interactions. Thyroid hormones can potentiate the effects of warfarin, coumadin, and other anticoagulants by increasing the catabolism of clotting factors. They may increase the insulin requirement for diabetic persons and the digitalis requirement for persons with cardiac disease. We should not co-administer with sympathomimetics, ketamine, ketilar, or meprotoline, luteamil, because of the risk of cardiac decompensation. Administration of SSRS, tricyclic and tetracyclic drugs, lithium, or carbamazepine, tegretol, can mildly lower serum T4 and raise serum thyrotropin concentrations in euthyroid persons or persons taking thyroid replacements. This interaction warrants close serum monitoring and may require an increase in the dosage or initiation of thyroid hormone supplementation. Laboratory interferences. Levothyroxine has not been reported to interfere with any laboratory test other than thyroid function indexes. Liothyronine, however, suppresses the release of endogenous T4, thereby lowering the result of any thyroid function test that depends on the measure of T4. Thyroid function tests. Several thyroid function tests are available, including tests for T4 by competitive protein binding, T4, D, and by radioimmunoassay, T4RIA, involving a specific antigen antibody reaction. More than 90% of T4 is bound to serum protein and is responsible for thyroid stimulating hormone, TSH, secretion and cellular metabolism. Other thyroid measures include the free T4 index, FT4I, T3 uptake, and total serum T3 measured by radioimmunoassay, T3RIA. Those tests are used to rule out hypothyroidism, which can be associated with symptoms of depression. In some studies, up to 10% of patients complaining of depression and associated fatigue had an incipient hypothyroid disease. Lithium can cause hypothyroidism and, more rarely, hyperthyroidism. Neonatal hypothyroidism results in intellectual disability and is preventable if the diagnosis is made at birth. Thyrotropin-releasing hormone stimulation test. The thyrotropin-releasing hormone, TRH, stimulation test is indicated for patients who have marginally abnormal thyroid test results with suspected subclinical hypothyroidism, which may account for clinical depression. It is also used in patients with possible lithium-induced hypothyroidism. The procedure entails an intravenous injection of 500 mg of protyrlin, TRH, which produces a sharp increase in serum TSH levels are measured at 15, 30, 60, and 90 minutes. An increase in serum TSH of 5 to 25 MIU per milliliter above the baseline is normal. An increase of less than 7 MIU per milliliter is considered a blunted response, which may correlate with a diagnosis of depression. 8% of all patients with depression have some thyroid illness. Dosage and clinical guidelines. Liothyronine is available in 5, 25, and 50 micro-G tablets. Levothyroxine is available in 12.5, 25, 50, 
75, 88, 100, 112, 125, 150, 175, 200, and 300 micro G tablets. It is also available in a 200 and 500 micrograms parenteral form. The dosage of liothyronine is 25 or 50 micrograms a day added to the person's antidepressant regimen. Liothyronine has been used as an adjuvant for all of the available antidepressant drugs. An adequate trial of liothyronine supplementation should last two to three weeks. If liothyronine supplementation is successful, it should be continued for two months and then tapered off at a rate of 12.5 micrograms a day every three to seven days. NO versus LAGENTS. Several agents with novel mechanisms are currently approved for use. They are usually given in specialized centers, and clinicians should only administer after special training to manage their significant safety profile. N-methyl D-aspartate receptor antagonists. Ketamine, an anesthetic agent, is used in specialized centers for depression. It has a unique action, as after a single low dose, much lower than the usual anesthetic dose, it can produce rapid relief from depression. This effect often occurs within four hour sores of IV administration. The effects persist for several weeks, but then without additional intervention, the depression often relapses. The drug has several significant side effects, including its general anesthetic effect as well as its psychotomimetic effect. Most experts consider it safe at lower doses, however, the clinical team should be ready to provide medical treatment should the drug have a profound effect on a patient's breathing or cause significant bradycardia. Ketamine's enantiomer, esketamine, ketonist, was approved by the FDA for the treatment of depression in adults in 2019. It has the advantage over ketamine, in that in addition to an injectable form, it is available as a nasal spray. Esketamine's mechanism of action is similar to ketamine's, although not identical, for example, both are non-competitive N-methyl-D-aspartate receptor antagonist and inhibit dopamine transporters. However, esketamine does not act on the sigma receptors, which may account for part of ketamine's antidepressant effect. This lack of effect on sigma receptors is thought to reduce the psychotomimetic properties of the drug. It must be provided in a clinical setting that has the staff and facilities to observe the patient for at least two hour sores following administration. The main side effects are sedation, difficulties with vision and speaking, and cognitive effects, including confusion, dissociation, and potentially delirium. It may also cause anxiety and increased BP in some patients. Gamma-aminobutyric acid allosteric modulators. Bregzanolone, also called allopregnanolone, was approved in the United States in 2019 under the priority review process as a breakthrough therapy for the treatment of postpartum depression. It is a neurosteroid which positively modulates the gamma-aminobutyric acid receptor. It is also a negative allosteric modulator of the nicotinic acetylcholine receptor and may have action on serotonin HT3 as well. The mechanism of its antidepressant effect is not clear, as other positive allosteric modulators of gamma-aminobutyric acid such as benzodiazepines, do not have a significant antidepressant effect. However, like ketamine, it provides a rapid response in patients who respond to the drug, usually within two to three days. We know little about the long-term efficacy of the drug. The drug is marketed under the brand name Zoreso and is a Schedule 1V controlled substance. It is only available through a national registry and has several other drawbacks limiting its widespread acceptance. One is its long administration time, as the drug must be given by continuous IV infusion over 60 source, during which the dose is slowly increased. This extended hospitalization is to prevent excess sedation or syncope. Perhaps the most significant drawback of the medication is its cost. Currently, the drug costs about $34,000 for a single dose, as well as the price of remaining in a medical facility for 60 source, and is not currently covered by most insurance companies.